I'm obsessed with telling stories. I'm obsessed with conveying emotion, conveying experiences that either I've experienced or that someone else has experienced and they've tried to convey to me. And I always find inspiration into how people come up, how people are raised, where you come from, what's your family life like? How do you, how do you process the first time you get into a fight with a bully? How do you process the first time that you're rejected when you ask someone out on a date? How do you process that moment when it turns out that your parents aren't going to stay together and that your family's going to split? And how do you process when someone new is coming into the family and it turns out that now you have new sisters, you now have new siblings, you have a new brother. That stuff is twice as fascinating for me because I didn't experience that. But there are so many people out there that did experience that. And it's such a, an important moment in their lives. Such an important moment in their history. In the DNA of how they tell stories. One of the great things about movie making for me is that you get to meet and talk to people. You get to hear their stories. You get to experience their lives. And if you have empathy, and empathy seems to be the theme of the past few episodes, if you have the ability to feel empathy and recognize empathy, then you get to live through someone else's story. I love that. One of the reasons why we do this show is to get people on the show that want to tell their stories, that want to share their stuff. And quite frankly, I'm surprised by the guests that we get on the show. And I'll tell you right now, Today is no fucking exception. <laughs> Today's episode is a, is a doozy, and I'm excited about it. And you guys reading the graphic, you know who's on the show, and I know that you're going, what? Who's it? What? How? Who's guest? Who's on the show today? And what? Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel the same way, and I'm the guy running the thing. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, welcome. You are now listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. Welcome to the show. I'm excited about today's episode because it is random and I love it. It is a random meeting. It was a random idea. It was put together by my good friend, the guy that you've never heard on this show. I'm sure he's listening to the show right now. The guy who hasn't been on the show yet, Will, Will Simmons, helped set this up today. Um, and who are we talking to today? None other than the Van Damme brothers, right? We're talking to Chris and Nick Van Damme. And I'm fascinated. I am excited to talk to these two because not only are they actors, not only did they grow up under the infamous Brussels, the muscles from Brussels, the man that can high kick the face off of anybody, the dude that does splits, and he's the coolest guy for doing it. I'm talking about Jean-Claude Van Damme here, right? And I know a lot of you who listen to this show are like me. You're fucking super action movie nerds from the 1980s. And you look at this guy, and for how many films that he was in that changed our perspective on stuff like Bloodsport, that movie is still an iconic, that movie has a huge cult audience at this point. It's ridiculous how culty that audience is. And then you just look at everything that he's done since. Strange movies like uh, Double Impact, right? The first John Woo movie in the United States, Hard Target, right? Amazing films, an amazing career. 
from an amazing martial artist and amazing actor. But that's just him on screen. What was the real life like, right? What was it like to live in the Van Damme home? What was that like? What is it like to be a very talented uh, person or very talented young man that has to find your own way underneath the shadow of Van Damme? And what is family life like when there is so much press and paparazzi and outside influence and these people that are coming into your life that have intentions, right? So how do you grow within that environment? And I'm curious about this stuff for a few reasons. Here's why. As a fucking culture, we're obsessed with celebrity, right? And we're obsessed with a very specific vision of celebrity. Right? We love the drama. We love the fucking Kardashians, the cards as I call them. We love celebrity, right? And we like to see these people in their dramatic moments that are built on television by producers and everything else. And they design these things and there's infighting and there's all this other crap and there's this drama that circulates around it. And now we have generations, young people that aspire to do that. I want to have my own reality TV show. I want to be a celebrity. Imagine how better my life would be if I was Jean-Claude Van Damme's son, right? So this stuff is fascinating to me. This is why I'm excited about this show because let's pull back the curtain a little bit here and let's get some access with this. And who knows, right? What are we in for? I don't know. These guys could be total divas, right? These guys could be celebrity pieces of shit. I have no idea what we're in for with this. Very excited about it. I can't wait to get started. And I want to thank everybody for being here. I want to thank all of you who continue to support this show and follow us on Instagram, whether you're following the podcast Instagram at a love of the process pod, that's a love of the process POD on Instagram or following my personal Instagram account at Mike Petchy. There you guys have been suggesting episodes. I'll tell you this, no one suggested this fucking episode. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you you're just as surprised about it as I am. <laughs> but you guys have been giving us feedback on the shows, and I have seen those of you who repost about our episodes. That means a lot to me. Those of you who help the show out, those of you who advertise the show, whether you're posting it on your Instagram page or you're putting it on a billboard in New Zealand, right? None of that goes unnoticed. I love you guys. I consider you guys family for doing that. I consider you guys super fans for doing that stuff. And if you want to be a super fan yourself, just here's the deal. You can either write to me and say, hey, I want to promote the show, send me some graphics, or you can steal any of the graphics that I post. There are reposting apps out there. I use them all the fucking time. You can repost our shit. If you love this show, talk about it repost it click the links for our sponsors all those things keep us interested here's why insider info the people that i talk to to book guests are concerned about how many people are listening to the show so our numbers need to be up and there needs to be engagement right and if there's engagement then i can get like arnold schwarzenegger on the show okay it's easier for me to convince their pr people to do so i know there's a lot of you listening i see the numbers you guys talk about it a lot we need twice as many. 
So here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to ask of you guys right now. I want you, if you love this show, I want you to tell five of your friends right now, drop them a message on Instagram, send them an email, write them a text and say, I know you're looking for a new podcast. Check out In Love With The Process. Mention my name, makes it easy to search. You can search for it on Spotify. You can search for it on Apple Podcasts, or you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Because I know there's a lot of new listeners out there who are kind of, I don't know, afraid of the fact that there are 93 episodes. I'm late to the party and there's been 93 of these fucking episodes. Where do I start? Well, you could be like a true comic book fan and go start at issue number one and make your way through. Or you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com because I've done all the hard work for you. If you just want to listen to episodes about directors, I've curated all the episodes for directors. Liam has helped me curate this stuff. I've also curated actors, chefs, musicians, all that sort of stuff. If you want a taste of the show, there is a section called the Top 25 Episodes, which is my favorite episodes and fan favorite episodes. That's a great place to start too. So go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. Check it out. Uh, There's great supplemental material for each episode. So a bunch of the references that we talk about on today's show we will post on a, on a page at loveoftheprocess.com for this episode. Does that make sense? It's a lot easier than I just fucking said it. You just go to the website. <laughs> Simple. But anyway, love you guys. Uh, we've been doing multiple shows a week and um, very excited uh, about the upcoming episodes and the guests that we have in the lineup. Really excited. I'm also very excited because the garbage truck is backing up the street right now which means it's gonna sound like there's a transformer in our living room while I'm recording this. I can't fucking wait to get a studio. Anyway, love you guys. Let's not delay it any further. You know the deal. Do yourself a favor. Pour yourself a beer. Get yourself a nice German beer. Get yourself a nice German lager, right? Hang out in that room with your DVD collection, and we know that you have Universal Soldier there. We know that you have Bloodsport there. Hang out, throw on those noise-canceling headphones so that you can truly hear the garbage truck passing my house in all its glory. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of The Love of the Process. Nick, Chris, thanks for being on the show, guys. How's it thanks going? Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, thank you for having us. Um, really appreciate you two taking the time to be on the show. It's a, um, I, it's a strange, it's a strange path to how we got here for this episode, but I'm really fucking excited about it. Um, and uh, thanks to Will for uh, making this this connect for us, man. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we uh, we had the pleasure to uh, to get the honor to get to know Will personally as well. We had a an awesome night out in Los Angeles with him. Had a good dinner, and oh, uh, yeah. you remember that? <laughs> so much that. fun. No, Will, Will's a good guy. <laughs> great guy, and he yeah. uh, he wrote a great script with our father and us uh, called Three Coyotes. Uh, fantastic Western project. So so thanks to Will for that, and thanks again, Will, for uh, setting this up with Mike, Mike, Liam. You guys rock. Thanks, man. Thank nice. you. Um, so <clears throat> what I'd love to do is uh, just get into a bunch of different stuff, and I know. Let me just ask some questions right off the bat, because I know a lot of people are going to be tuning in going like, what's it like uh, growing up 
in a household where like, you know, your dad is kicking ass in movies and your mom is like a, you know, a bodybuilder. Like, what was that life like for you guys? Um, and, uh, let's just get into that. So what was it like growing up in the Van Damme household or in the Van Damme family? You know, um, it is what it is. We'll start with that. But Nick and I have, uh, we have two separate mothers. We're, we're actually half brothers, but doesn't feel that way. You know, his mom was like my mom and my mom's like his, but we share the same father. Um, so, you know, growing up with our dad and being, I don't want to say under that shadow, but it kind of comes with it. You know, mm -hmm. people expect you to say something or do something like, you know, your, your international successful father would do that has touched <laughs> the hearts and minds of millions across the globe, right? So you're supposed to kind of, you're not supposed to, but people would like to see the, uh, the next step, you know, originality. They don't even they don't even buy the scripts anymore though, you know, those types of movies. So it's like it's like uh but what I was saying at what Chris was saying was um actually uh when we were growing up, um I was like like visitation. So we'd mm. probably only see each other like every other weekend or something. But we would yeah. do like, you know, we'd make like comics and like little movies and stuff like that. Because um, <laughs> usually when I was there, like our dad was like working or something like that. But uh so I was, uh, I was in Oregon actually most of the time until around like 16, 17, 18. And then that's when, cause you know, I can make my own decisions and stuff. And, uh, so I would just go over and hang out around then. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it just, it, it is what it is. You know, it's uh, a little different, but, um, <laughs> our dad's a little more eccentric than a lot of the uh, other, yeah. uh, Hollywood <laughs> sure. stars. So, um, <laughs> it can sure. be a little crazier, but you know. <laughs> Uh, he's got to, you got to, you got to deal with it and that's it. When you get to know us, you're like, Hey, these guys are pretty cool. You know, we play super smash brothers on the weekends. We come up with great little skits that we do at home and we starting our own channel called Dan bros, me and my brother, or my, I should mm -hmm. say my brother and I. So it's really, you know, we put all our pain in quotations and efforts into a, a you know, a pot and call it a mix. <clears throat> and then that, that represents what we do in, uh, in the world of film. Cause you know, we're, we, we consider ourselves to be filmmakers like you guys, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. it's kind of uh, people think that, you know, because you're the son of or the daughter of the offspring of someone who's very successful that, you know, it kind of is on a, it served you on a silver platter and it, it, it either is or it's not. And in our case, it kind of fluctuated between both. It was a very interesting upbringing. Uh, we had to go, we had to deal with the, uh, the success and then the downfall and all the crap that comes with that, like a comet. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm, debris sure. upon debris, and yeah. then uh, you know, kind of live up to what a crowd is saying around you, and what that causes someone to do is to go inside themselves and say, "Hey, hold on, I'm a human being myself, and mm -hmm. I gotta, I gotta have my own color here." So I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure that the fuck out, and then you know, skyrockets at the top, or whatever the top is in my, in my destiny. And so, what I like about my brother a lot is that we relatability wise we we get we're like magnets we understand one another very well when we work together it's extremely uh it feels extremely successful mm. and uh and that's a natural thing that we just present to the world so uh what we've been through with our dad and our moms individually as well because people forget you know hey it's not just Jean-Claude Van Damme it, there's sure. also Darcy Lapierre and Gladys Portuguese and yeah. you know these women have impacted our lives as well and it just, it's a full circle, you know, and there's all the, uh, what the media tells you and then what happens behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and then there was a period of time where 
Weren't you guys doing like a reality TV show too? Wasn't there a camera crew following you guys around too at one point? Yeah. So in the, I think, Nick, you were part of that, right, man? The real show with Jamie Stevens a few years back. And I don't, I don't, I don't know if um, you were. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was, uh, it was just like a bunch of, uh, it was cool. It was a good idea. It was just, um, oh, yeah. I think it was. Are you talking about the behind closed doors things? Because that, yeah, was, that yeah. was something different. I don't think I was there for that. That was during the time when uh, Nick and I weren't really, we weren't really in communication when we wanted to be. Nick actually, not to derive the subject, but Nick found a way to, to, <laughs> to message my sister through Messenger back in the day to communicate with us. And it was awesome. <laughs> That's, you know, we've always had that bond. So, but I think that was around that time uh, behind yeah. closed doors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think besides well, Sans the reality TV show, I think a lot of people listening to the show can very much identify uh, with that bond that you guys have and, and can also identify with uh, having brothers and sisters from different parents and having those sort of relationships. I know my girlfriend also is in that same situation where she met her second family pretty recently and, and her sister the same kind of way. Mm. Um, and it's I'm fortunate enough to uh, have a brother that has lived with me my whole life, which is really great. And I have a strong bond with my brother as well. And it's it's nice. really nice to hear you guys have that bond and that connection um, because at the end of the day, family is one of those important... I can only imagine in, in your situation where you have the fucking outside judgment of the press and the outside judgment of, you know you know, the Joe Blow fucking surfing the internet trying to figure shit out kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and, it, yeah. and at the end of the day, you know, family is really important because you guys are going through this together. You guys have been processing this thing together and it's it's really nice to hear that there's a strong bond in it. Um, we were at one point going to have your sister on the show today, but uh, hopefully we can in the future. Absolutely. It sounds like you guys all have a strong bond. Is that true? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Bianca, Nick, and I, and, and, and Nick's sisters as well. Nick has sisters as well, and uh, all very, very strong and close, very strong um, in terms of, you know, needing to stick together uh, to support <laughs> yeah. one another. Yeah, it's the, very important. I actually, uh, no, it's crazy on my mom's side, because uh, um, my mom uh, was married uh, a couple of different times, but I have three three sisters, uh, but all half, but, you know, of course, I consider them, uh, you know, real sisters. We don't see that. But, uh, you know, um, it's, uh, yeah, we have a lot of, uh, family everywhere. So, and we, we've, we've done a pretty good job through like all the drama that the last generation has caused of like sticking together and not like listening to like, cause you know, there obviously there's drama and relationships and stuff sure. like that, but, sure. uh, we've all, uh, we've all stuck together as siblings through all of it, which is really cool because a lot of families kind of fall apart, but we, we just didn't let it happen, you know, and we, uh. And uh, yeah. yeah, we just we only started working together recently, um, um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been really fun. You know, we've, yeah. we, we've been uh, we've been working. Nick and I have been. I mean, we consider work fun for us. You know, fil filmmaking is fun, and I know you guys get this, Mike and Liam. Filmmaking for you guys is mm -hmm. is is fun. I mean, it's what you represent. It's your it's your journey of the soul here on Earth, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, when Nick and I when we were kids, and Bianca too. And, and even Nick's sisters, Sterling and Madigan, very creative, very creative people and just fun to hang out with and just awesome to kick it and create these cool, fun skits and jokes and creating these little mini franchises within our, within our own realm of siblinghood. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just cool to, mm -hmm. to build on top of those building blocks as, uh, as siblings. We all have some relatability somewhere, yeah? Well, yeah, dude, I'm in the same. I'll just, I'll just say this, like, because uh, I come from a family of four, so I was the oldest of 
a brother and two sisters. And uh, my mother is holding on to VHS tapes. She has VHS tapes hostage. <laughs> and she keeps telling me that as soon as you make it, these are going to whatever fucking trashy media outlets out there. <laughs> and it's our old like uh, family Christmas pageants where we would reenact Disney movies and I think there's footage of me dressed up like a lobster from uh, Mermaid, so it's pretty terrifying, actually. That's great. Um, but uh, no, man, it's the same kind of thing with me. And uh, our family was very creative, and and uh, we would spend time. Honestly, because we were such a large unit, and uh, I don't know if I've talked about it on the show, but where I grew up, I grew up in a neighborhood where there weren't any other kids on my street. And so by proxy, you ended up being a little bit of an outsider when you went to school because all the other kids would hang out and they would play together. And, yeah. But um, you had to I, end up creating your own little world, though, because you exactly. know, probably got really bored. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, you end up like, the, I would say, you know, from from when I can remember to probably when I was like 16, 17, the childhood was the family. It was like going home, hanging out, doing shit and watching the brothers and sisters and fucking, you know, uh, playing make-believe and, you know, Hot Wheels and car sets and all that kind of shit. So, so rad. Yeah, man. Um, so it's, it's the, the same, it's the, same it's kind the, of thing. Same with us, you know, like Nick, um, fortunately, Nick, he, uh, he got to grow up in... Um, in a place, and I don't want to speak for Nick, obviously, but he got to grow up in Oregon for the majority of his life, you know, in the, in the wilderness and in the forest and he's very strong genes and had good friends and, <laughs> you know, full of, full of awesome, he grew up around horses and I'll let, I'll let him explain that. But, um, I, uh, I got, I understand what it's like to be, uh, the, the kid that doesn't really not have friends. I had friends, but I would, uh, I would stay in a lot because, you know, like, you know, the, you know, if you go outside the media and the kidnappings yeah. in school and all this stuff, and it's like, you don't really grow up with a normal, uh, mindset. You grow up with this fear-based mindset, you know, based on whatever your father's representation is. So it was kind of, you know, back in the early 2000s, late nineties when I was in junior high going into high school, um, I wanted to go to a public school and I, I couldn't go to a public school because, you know, my, my parents and their, their, their name and all that jazz and what, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it just, it just, you know, it kind of fucks you up and oh, not really fucks you up. If you let it fuck you up, it can, but you're supposed to, as a creative individual, get out of that rut by like what you did, Mike, and what Nick and I do, we build our own worlds and we, we trust that world. We've got a passport to it. We can go there anytime we want. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when, when, when we, we direct or we write or we produce a project, you can really feel that coming out from the project. It feels original. And mm-hmm. that's, that's your representation. That's your definition. Um, as a human being in this lifetime, I think it's very important to honor where you come from, even if it's difficult to live through for the time being, because the outcome with consistency and self-awareness and introspection, you can become very successful. Very successful. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And yeah, I was going to ask that too. <clears throat> so do you, were you guys, were you basically homeschooled or, did, or were you able to go to uh, an actual high school? Did you go to private school? Like how'd you process all that? Well, well, I went to, uh, I went to high school and everything. I had a pretty normal, like, uh, yeah, high school experience and everything. Um, <laughs> as normal as it can be in the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the yeah. States. But like in Oregon, it's, yeah, I was like 20, 30 minutes from Portland. So, you know, I, uh, you know, bonfires and all that, I would, uh, yeah, high school parties, that old thing, and um, cool. yeah, it was. Uh, but uh, Chris and Bianca uh, definitely had a 
a lot different of an upbringing just because um, they were a lot more, uh, not sheltered, but just like they didn't get to do normal stuff that other kids get to do, you know, which is, yeah. I, I, I don't know, but it's like it's hard, you know, and then when you, yeah, I go over to visit and everything like that. That's when we were, got to hang out, but uh, they yeah. different, uh different rules when it came over because he's, you know, like he said, he had more of a liberated, uh, unsheltered life. When he come over, it'd be like a little more rigid, a little more strict. And to him, it's like, <laughs> well, well, come on, you got to live life. And he's right. He's 100% right. And so actually through my brother in my mid-20s, I'd have to say, I started to really learn about being socially active a bit more. No joke. Hmm. And, and he's nine years younger than me, eight and a half, nine years younger than me. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm very, I'm very close to my brother, not only for that reason, but I thank him for that every day because I made the decision not to keep this, you know, sheltered lifestyle, an image of myself. I wanted to break out of it and I'm a late bloomer and I own that, but I thank my brother a lot for that because he really kind of pulled me out of it. And, and, and by doing that, we were also still able to create projects together. So I saw that I could separate the inner world and the outside world. So now I'm becoming... Um, every day a master of both but to go back into the past we were my sister and I were homeschooled uh, late mm -hmm. in I think early 2000s yeah late 90s early 2000s we when we graduated junior high she was homeschooled into junior high so she had more of a homeschooled experience but um, we got to the, the positive side of what we got to do with our father's career because we have to talk positively about it as well right sure um, of course the uh, we got to travel a lot and we got to see the world uh, different movie sets, all that's cool, but the places around the movie sets, with or without security and all that fancy Hollywood crap that comes with the union, right? We yeah. uh, <laughs> we got to at least see different cultures, speak different languages, live in different parts of the world, and our mindsets opened up. So we put that into our craft, our creativity, and and uh, and our knowledge for what it's worth. And now I'm 33. And I'm socially comfortable finally. <laughs> I mean, I was doing a podcast with my dad, but I'm and I thank my brother for that. And I thank the the fact that our father can afford to have us travel and live in different parts of the world, so we could do that. A lot of people wouldn't appreciate that because they just choose not to, but a lot of people yeah. would. Yeah, and, no, dude, it's it's a huge thing. Like for yeah. a lot of young folks, when they finally do get to travel abroad, traveling abroad is such a fucking eye opening experience because no, it's true. Yeah, yeah, like not only yeah. not only do you examine your personal position, you not only do you examine your family position and where you, how you're raised and what it is that you do, but you also see how the rest of the world perceives us as Americans, perceives us on on our on our from our country. And yeah, it's true, dude. I remember the the first time I traveled. Where did I go? I traveled abroad, and I went. I think I went to Italy for the first time, and it just blew my face off. <laughs> really, like yeah. I, between like getting outside of the advertising and the marketing structure that is the U.S. and then also being yeah. exposed to different ways of living, like um, the whole European sort of uh, siesta in the middle of the day and, and the, the, the different work environments that they create there. It was just so fucking inspiring that you end up coming back home and you're like... Do I really want to watch fucking TV all day? Yeah. You know I mean? yeah, exactly. yeah, you just get perspective on everything. You get to you get to you get to see a lot of people's uh, perspectives in a very short amount of time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Nice. And then, That's uh, so true. Yeah, and then when you break your rhythm too, you also uh, you get you get a lot of insight on like what uh, what can be different, what can like progress you, and what's slowing you down. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right, Nick. You're absolutely right because you're more aware of uh, the differences and all those dichotomies that that, that exactly. Yeah. You're like, oh, maybe this works for me or something, or maybe this could. I don't know. Sleeping in the taking a siesta. Sorry, my headphones fell off. Sleep, taking a siesta in the middle of the day maybe is good for me. Maybe I'm a little more aggressive or so, You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. totally. You can go that little, deep. Little things, sure. yeah. But uh, yeah, that's awesome. You know, talking. Uh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. No, no. It's this. This will be an interesting episode. Normally, what what I would do normally, if there wasn't some fucking virus outside that was chasing us all, and making us all locked down, we'd be sitting in the same room having beers and then being. Hey, I love that, man. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. oh, dude. That but sounds the awkward, great. The why can't awkward why can't we do that though? Let's do that. Let's do that in the future. Come on. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, I'm I'm totally in. Let's just go get COVID tested and then we'll do six feet apart and we'll yeah, do the yeah. whole thing. We'll just all show up in hazmat suits and we can uh, <laughs> we can build some type of tube into our mouth yeah but the the, the the side effect of this being over the internet is that sometimes we stomp on each other so pardon me if that happens and just just oh talk no it. no don't, don't worry about deal. it come on man it's a conversation uh but uh what were we saying so one of the things that's interesting to connect back to what we were saying about to change of perspective is that because of this uh coronavirus situation because of a lot of folks that were living the nine to five lifestyle, were checking into work every day. Now that doesn't really fucking exist anymore. Mm. I think everybody's having sort of that perspective change, which is incredibly fascinating. And it'll be interesting to see post this, you know, whenever they have that fucking vaccine done, um, what, whether or not people are going to want to go back and check in and punch into fucking work. You right. Know what I mean? Right. Good point. It's interesting. I, I, yeah, no, I was, uh, I was, me and my brother, well, we have a lot of time to talk, you know, since we're always inside and everything like that. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's creating like a whole new job market. And, and uh, for, on the negative side, too, it's like this giant drowning board where like all these businesses are like represented mm-hmm. as pegs, you know, and like it's just being held underwater and all these small businesses are going out. But yeah. it's also like uh, the, the ones that can evolve to breathe under, you know, um, they, they're going online and being more and more monetized. And it's just interesting all these, uh, what's going to happen. Cause it has to evolve the, you know, the markets and capitalism can't just die, you know? Yeah, totally. So mm. it's just interesting. Uh, it's, there's good and bad, you know, you can look at it oh, absolutely. either way, but I agree um, with that. Yeah. That be for sure. Yeah. I guess, uh, well, you know, we just have to see, we have to wait and see, you know, and try to adapt as best we can. Yeah. And in a time period, I guess I try to be a little positive about it because everybody's so fucking negative about it. Yeah, right it's uh, everything, man. <laughs> well, you know, you know, you know, Mike, you're right. And and what Nick and I have been doing is we took this time. If it wasn't look, if it wasn't for and, and this is this is in regards to Nick and I. If it wasn't mm-hmm. uh, for this Corona pandemic, we wouldn't have uh, sat inside and said, okay, what can we do with our time? Uh, let's let's shoot a really cheesy, straightforward skit and and let's see what happens by when people look at it and see their reaction. And so what we've been doing is we've been taking what we love to do is filmmaking and with the awesome technology we have now on our phones, we can just shoot something, do some post-production, post it up and mm-hmm. create some cre- create some type of mini representation of filmmaking for whatever that's worth, you know. And mm-hmm. so uh, what that's done is is my brother and I have actually never been I mean I don't want to say we've never been this busy before, but together we we've been so consistent and like you said, it's all about the consistency. 
Yeah, you got to have that consistency, but it's something we love to do. So the positive side for us on this, I think, in one way, because there could be many reasons, but one of the reasons is we've been working together more. And I've discovered so much about my brother and so much about myself and become such a a more in-depth filmmaker by doing this before, you know, you can go out anytime you want, do whatever you want, go see whoever you want. And Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, is now been hindered a bit, you know, some some appendages have been removed to that freedom. (laughs) <laughs> it's true, Very true. So we have to uh, we have to use the the thumb appendage to push record and standby a little more often. But it's actually it's recording some cool shit. So we're we're happy doing it, dude. And it's actually it's forcing a lot of folks um, to stay creative. And then the people that are surviving, really, especially in our business, the people that are surviving are the, are the folks that. Uh, kind of come from sort of that do-it-yourself mentality and have those skills. Mm. Um, my girlfriend, Gina, those who listen to the show know who she is. Uh, she's a fashion photographer, and then uh, she recently has moved into directing uh, music oh, videos cool. and stuff. And she oh, got cool. very lucky, and she got a really great contract. And, and I don't know if I'm allowed to talk specifics about it, but she's working for a pretty big act right before the, the uh, pandemic happened. And so the client was like, oh my God, the fucking pandemic is happening. What does this mean? How can we do it? And basically they just shifted to doing uh, quarantine productions. And like I've been watching her. She has to finish like seven music videos in the course of like four weeks, five weeks. Oh my God. And I'm, I'm watching the process of it and helping out when I can. But it's interesting to see how the restrictions, because now it's a one person, two person crew. That's it. You know, yeah. like get Corona test and that's the deal. And I'll have to send you guys the stuff so you can see it. The results on it, you would never guess, were quarantine based. And I know, all, right? It's crazy. It, you know, it just, sometimes though, like I have to say, like when because like um, when there's l- not, I'm not 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 less people, but like if you really have a vision for it, and you're like, okay, I'm here to like get work done. Mm-hmm. There can be a lot done if you're if uh, with the technology we have and everything. If there's less people, because the less less cogs that all have to work together you know it doesn't yeah. get messed up because most of the time it's like people are inside their head or something like that they're trying to get everybody to go together but mm-hmm. if it's like two or three people it could even be faster every time I, we do I agree. smaller shoots it's with less people it always turns out faster even if it's like a big concept yeah less yeah. more in a lot of ways yeah yeah i, I mean look there's we we have decided to be artists in a medium that require literally require our paintbrushes to have families and lives and everything else. Like there's, you need crew and you need teams for stuff when you hit a certain level or if your concept requires a certain level of stuff. But yeah, of course, you know, if you keep it in your brain ahead of time and you're like, okay, here's the deal. Like, how can I do this? Right, 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 right. Let's do close-ups. Let's do all close-ups. Let's not do wide shots and let's contain this thing or let's, uh, Let's not fucking worry about the technical aspect and let's focus on the emotional context here. And then let's Absolutely. do it that way. Layers, yeah. man. hundred yeah. percent. You know, I used to be a, I used to be a storyboard for cartoons back cool. in like 2000 and I think 2008, 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I studied out in Vancouver, British Columbia and Canada. And I cool. uh, went to VFS out there when they first opened their 2D department. Uh, but same thing. Storyboards taught me layers. And uh, I love the fact that with a storyboard, you can get all the technicalities out by writing it down, get the awesomeness mm-hmm. of the shot laid out, and then you can dis- you can despite the you can depict sorry not despite you can depict and define the emotions of the 
actor or character in each panel. So yeah. layers are foundation for sure. And like you said, it's about evolving, right? Sometimes you're going to need 20 people. Sometimes you're just going to need two. Sometimes mm -hmm. you're going to need five. But I, to understand that and to be open-minded to that is super important because then pride and ego get, get thrown off the horse for the better of things, you know? All right, now's the time to take a break. The show's this episode's been fucking great, but unfortunately, we got to take a little break. We got to talk about the men and women that help support the show. I'm not just talking about you guys. I'm talking about the sponsors. I'm talking about the people that make this show happen. I'm talking about the reason why I'm speaking into this super sexy Rode microphone, and not a Rode microphone. This is a short microphone, and I'm using my Rodecaster. I don't know why I'm advertising for them because they haven't been sponsors yet. So. All this really cool gear that my real sponsors got for us, I did it. They did it because you guys clicked the links. You guys go and support them. So here's the, here's that moment where you click the links below the episode. Each one of those traceable links will tell them that you care. Now I picked out these sponsors specifically because I know you will love them. That's why I did it. That's why they're on the show. And I'm gonna read off the cuff because I didn't prepare myself. So here we go. First up, men and women over at Puget Systems. If you're a photographer, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a music producer, if you're just a video game fucking nut and you need a PC that will run faster and you don't want to become a slave to payments, right? You wanna find something that's affordable, you wanna find something that is custom built for your needs, build a PC. Oh my God, I said build a PC, holy shit. Yes, build a PC. PCs are stable. There's all sorts of bad rumors around this shit. That blue screen of death stuff, this was in like the 90s, guys, okay? Current PCs work amazing. I have two, three of them. They work fantastic. Uh, go to PugetSystems.com. There, they will help you build a custom PC. So if you're someone that likes to just buy something and get it in a box and open it up and plug it in and turn it on, this is the way to go. You could build your own PC, but then you have to spend a lot of time figuring out what hardware works with what, what's the newest thing on the market, does this work with the newest version of Adobe? I don't know. Puget Systems has it all figured out. They're a company that builds custom PCs. They don't manufacture in hardware, okay? So they're not selling you hardware. They actually go through the process of sorting through all that stuff, doing benchmark tests, finding the best hardware for your machine. That's what they do. They build these really beautiful custom-built stuff. You can go by selecting a pre-existing model, not a pre-existing model, but like, um, what, what's the term I'm looking for here? Base model. So you can actually go choose a baseline model that you can then customize. And they love to talk to their customers. So you can contact them directly and say, hey, I'm Joe, I wanna build an After Effects machine. And I hear that the hardware is different on for an, a good After Effects machine than it would be for a Premiere machine. They know all the answers. They will help you construct that. You can tell them your budget. They can tell you what works for that. You can go from there. It's fantastic. I love these guys. It's a family-run business. When you call, you get some on the fucking phone, which is huge. It's huge. They actually have this thing that they do there, and I think that, I hope they still do it, but I know they were doing it for a while, where they've given all of their tech support people access to an account 
I think it's like gift cards or something to her account at Amazon. So when they're talking to their clients and if their clients need something simple, like a, like a cable or like a converter or something really basic, they don't have to go up the chain and get approval on that. They can literally order that stuff and send it to you immediately. That's, an, that's how much the owners of that company trust their customer service folks. That says a lot. So go to PugetSystems.com, check them out. Price out a new machine, get something awesome. Like I said, I have a brand new one right now that's running fucking super sweet, 4K, full res. Cutting away on it, I love it. I'm wheezing today. Oh, asthma is kicking my ass right now. Anyway, okay, PugetSystems.com. Also supporting us as usual, the great guys over at Quasar Science. One of the best advancements in movies over the past 10 years has been lighting. If you listen to the show, you know I have such a boner for great lighting. I love it. I love lighting. Uh, and a lot of you guys ask, Mike, we like your lighting. What do you have in your kit? Well, I got a couple things in my kit, but I'll tell you what I have multiple things of in my kit are quasar tubes. I've got some bicolor quasar tubes and I've got rainbow LED quasar tubes. They're fucking great. They don't require a lot of power. They're very compact, so you can fit them in the back of your hatchback. Probably throw them in a backpack and put them on your bike and ride to work with them. Um, and they're battery powered um, and they are color balanced correctly. High quality LEDs are used for these units. So you can pretty much assume that they're not going to be color shifting on you. It's not going to be pushing green. It's not going to be pushing magenta, right? Definitely check them out. Go to quasarscience.com. They have the best products in the market. If you have one of those units and you're working with a real gaffer, you're going to go, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Okay, got it. I'm telling you, Quasar Science. Go check them out. Also, supporting the show. Very excited to have these guys. Uh, I found them because of my love for t-shirts. I have a big love for horror movie t-shirts, and I like my references to be strange and off the beaten path. <laughs> <laughs> because I've now hit a point where I'm old enough that the movies that when I was younger that everybody knew about, all the younger kids are like, what the fuck is this? And you're like, oh yeah, you don't know what UHF is? Huh. Uh, you've never actually seen Poltergeist for real? You don't know in this movie? Okay, right, got it. I love that shit. I love using t-shirts as conversation starters, especially in the industry because people love that shit. Um, go check out Fright Rags. So that's fright-rags.com. There you can purchase all sorts of shirts from all different horror movies from when we were growing up and they're custom licensed shirts. They're really great. Hold on. I want to get the code here. So you guys get a wait a minute. There we go. I found the paperwork. Okay. Fright Rags is bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products for your favorite creature features, slasher flicks, and cult classics. Collections include John Har the Collections include John Carpenter's Halloween, Universal Monsters, Night of the Living Dead, Creepshow, Twin Peaks, Evil Dead, Ghostbusters, and so many more. All officially licensed and only available at fright-rags.com. So if you're a fan of the show, if you're a listener on this show, you've got a deal, we've got a promo code. Listeners get 10% off when they use the code ILWP10 at checkout. That's ILWP10 at checkout. Go to FrightRags, fright-rags.com. 
Okay. And as always, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com to find the episodes that you want to listen to. I've curated everything that you need there. Uh, I've also got SoundCloud links there. I've got Spotify links there. It's a great place to go. Subscribe to the show. Uh, whether you subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, whatever, whatever avenue you do, whatever subscription service you use to get an update every Tuesday when this episode comes out, right now, scroll down and leave us a review. That's it. You just scroll down, mark it with the stars, and leave a review. Be like, I love the way that this fucking guy says fuck every five seconds on this show. Boom. Five star. Do it right now. I'm not going to start the show until you do it. I'm not going to start the show until you do it. Yep. Bring it up. Scroll down. Keep scrolling. Yep. You scroll all the way down. You'll see where the reviews are. There you go. Mm-hmm. Click the star that you think. It's probably like a three star right now because I'm holding you hostage. It's fine. Give it a three. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're not fucking do it. Do it right now. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Leave a review. Okay. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience. Let's get back into it with the Van Damme Brothers. Okay. See you. Bye. I've talked about this on other episodes, but it seems like when you're younger, at least for me, I can only I can only convey my story with this. But when I was younger, um, you, when you decide that you want to be a filmmaker, and I probably decided when I was in like 21, 22, um, you have to convince yourself that you're a filmmaker. You have to get over the insecurity that you're not. And, and, and the process of doing that essentially is go shoot something, go make something, go do something so that you can then call yourself a filmmaker so that you can then get over that insecurity. And then in the early years, uh, I would disguise my lack of experience with bravado and bravado became ego. And then ego became my band-aid for my insecurity. And it took me, I'd say four years, five years to realize that that's what it was doing and that it was doing a negative effect and that it was actually hindering the work and hindering the creativity with it. Um, and I think a lot of people go through that process because we're all afraid in the beginning. It's hard to practice being a director, especially at a large level where it's like, cool, I can't practice directing a crew of 50 fucking people until I can get my hands on a crew of 50 people. And the only way I'm going to get my hands on a crew of 50 people is if I kind of bullshit my way into it. And yeah. so there's this real fine line between confidence and ego. And, and like you said, you have to kick that ego off the fucking horse. Yeah, and, you're right. I think the key, and it's cool you're honest about that. I think the key is to, to try to not take yourself too seriously. And that's hard to like say and everything or like to do easier than said than done, you know? Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's awesome. And uh, um, yeah, I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's all about uh, just being chill and like confident with what's what you have to offer, you know, because every, every vision can be a little different or tweaked in one way or another, you know, mm. well, I think that's really awesome. You guys must've seen some shit. Like, um, you know, I could only imagine 
either a the egos or the insecurities that were surrounding oh dude like your yeah. father's productions and your father's shoots you must have seen some crazy fucking shit with that oh dude the machismo the machismo stuff that comes with <laughs> being in the layer of an action star is is hilarious and it very very interesting you could you could create a whole bible uh, guidebook on how to deal <laughs> with your own insecurities by watching I would not to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh, we love our father, and we we talk straight, and uh, our father knows how we are and respects us for it. So just you know, putting that out there right now. But um, the thing is, is when it comes to do, when you do something that sets the bar, you mm-hmm. then have to be prepared to continue the consistency to set the bar one tier higher. And that's that's the uh, that's just the the human mentality. Oh, what can be better? What can be better? We're born to evolve, right? Born mm-hmm. to grow. So, for us, it's like we don't utilize that to us. We just say, "Hey, we're ourselves. This is what we are. This is what we do." But our father is stuck in that. In and it's not a. He's like he's stuck. It's a decision he's made upon himself to to always set the bar that much higher. You know what I mean? To always yeah, yeah. say, "Hey, if I do a if I do a split kick on this movie three times, on the next one I got I got to do five, or I got to <laughs> do four, and that's his decision." But we we don't have that issue the way we used to have it. Like, oh crap, uh, if Dad's doing this. What can I do that's going to beat you know Van Damme? Because people are expecting things. But um, the ego and the the bravado that comes with uh, the life of an action star. It's quite heavy. I mean, you can see it through their acting at times. And I'm going to give my father props. Our father props. Excuse me, guys. I'm sorry, dude. Um, yeah, I'm going to give our father props. You know, he's he's come a long way as an actor. As an actor. He, yeah, totally. You know, he was a he was a okay actor in the in the 90s. He was good enough in some movies, and he touched the hearts of of millions. And that's phenomenal. Can't put a price on that, right? But after JCVD, or after films like In Hell, where he really started to explore his inner authority to become a better actor is when he started to evolve in his craft and his mm-hmm. ego started to die. And yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is awesome. <laughs> and it's just yeah. something that's really cool to see. So, you know, my brother and I and our sister as well has ha- have had some in-depth insight on what it's like to evolve as an actor after being an action star. And yeah. uh, something crazy. Cool. Yeah. That's crazy. Like talk about, ex- okay. So this is what's fascinating about filmmaking to me is that Essentially, what we're doing as storytellers is we're experiencing something or we're seeing something and then we're trying to convey those messages to other folks. And so I think the byproduct of what you guys had with that experience is being able to witness that. Because from the outside, if you're looking at action stars, especially the way they kind of came together, like you start thinking in like the in the late 70s, 80s, big time and 90s, it was all bravado. It was like... Who's got the bigger muscles? Who's got the bigger opening weekend? It's Schwarzenegger versus fucking Stallone. You know, it's Seagal versus Van Damme. It's like these egos and people that were at each other. And that was the sales pitch. You know what I mean? You got like the Joel Silvers out there going like, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to put together. That was cool though. That was, that was awesome. That was acceptable. That was a style, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, then, and I, I think that was awesome. Like, it's like Godzilla vs. King Kong. Oh, I used to love Godzilla movies. Dude, King. I love like them Godzilla still. Godzilla vs. King Kong. It was so <laughs> terrible, but I watched it like so many times just because I was like, I was like the concept. I was like, oh yeah, like Godzilla vs. King Kong. That's sick. And then I like watched it on some weird like direct TV channel that was on late night, and it's just two guys in a costume like wrestling over there. some like clay mountains. I'm like, oh my god, like. But you know, yeah, no, it's a, it's great. No, I still love to see that like Expendables and stuff. It's 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 cool. 
you know, you have like 20 years of foundation on it. You think about King Kong, you're thinking about, geez, the first time King Kong came out, but it kept going. It, came a, it became a legacy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a, a good cliche to the action genre, but, you know, film itself doesn't have a, a, a rule book. As you know, as filmmakers, we don't like to be caged, right? So mm-hmm. we like to be able to be free and represent ourselves through the style of our shooting. But we also can take what was once original and timeless and, tra- and you know, transform it into something like a cool hybrid with nowadays, especially nowadays. Indie films are where it's at. I think yeah. a lot of uh, actors, too, have, have done a great job at that, which is really awesome to see. Like Clint Eastwood and stuff, the way he's evolved and like, or in yeah. like, you know, Stallone, they're starting to make new, more, more idea, more, com- not commercial, but more uh, um, makes sense for today's time, you know? Yeah. And I think that evolution yeah. is really awesome to see because it's like, okay, like uh, not setting the bar, but like, okay, who's going to do this next? Or like, what can they do with this concept? Or, you know, what would be cool? Like if this, and me and my brother always talk about that, like, oh, they should have done this, like with this, you know, <laughs> yeah. and we get pissed about it, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. So we're like, okay, let's just do it ourselves then, I guess. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating to watch because they're humans, right? These, these guys are all human. So like Stallone, Schwarzenegger, all these dudes, they go through the process of, of dealing with stardom. They're young guys when they get into it and they're dealing with that. And then they get older and they have kids, they have children, they have life experiences, like their parents die. You know what I mean? Like all these yeah. different yeah. things happen to them and they start to, to adjust and change. Like the difference between me now at 42 and me at 22 is fucking massive. Oh, I bet, and yeah. and it's, there's something really nice about seeing that transition with the movies that they're in and your dad specifically like jcvd was such a a huge moment for him because i i remember loving his movies when i was a kid right because they were were essentially built for a teenage boy it was like yeah dude's kicking ass he's kicking people's faces and there's a bunch of gunshots it's awesome i love it (laughs) and and then you know you start to grow up it's like it's like when i was younger listening to music and i really loved like heavy 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 metal and then i started kind of grow out of it because i don't have that aggression anymore and then mm. when JCVD showed up, I you know was in my 30s, I think. So that movie kicks in and I'm like, oh, he's dealing with some shit. This is fucking fascinating. And then it becomes more human. Yeah. It becomes more relevant. Um, and it, it put him back on the map for me. Essentially, at that point, I was like, A, he knows how to fucking act. Okay, that's great. And then B, <laughs> um, you know, he has that age. It's like watching Mel Gibson now. I saw him in... Um, oh, I love Mel Gibson. I love dude, him. Dude, I would love to work with him. And regardless of any kind of bullshit around social, all that crap. But I hear he's an amazing actor. He's an amazing director. And I watched him in Bloodfather recently. Oh, yeah. Our dad was talking about that movie. Oh, we need to see that, dude. Yeah, you're right. Dude, it's so good. And his face, his face is just a roadmap of experience. And it's your dad has that too. It's just that roadmap of experience in time and and trying to process that stardom trying to process that stress and you just see it on their faces and it may, turns them into really phenomenal character actors because yeah, you're yeah. right you're right i love that look though i know exactly what you're talking about but yeah. That, uh yeah it's just um i don't know it's uh yeah i don't know our dad uses it well though and i think more and more he's starting to play roles like that and it kind of just starts to grow on him and he starts to adopt that character. 
Yeah. His, his voice is getting so deep too, and it's like <laughs> so so good for playing a Sith in Star Wars, man. I, I I've, I've been waiting for them to fucking cast him as a general or a Sith of the Empire, man. That'd be, that'd be, <laughs> I know he's got the face for that. He's yeah, like, he does. Darth Malgus or something, man. Come on, yeah. uh, you, know, you know you know where Disney's going with Star Wars. I I think I think, um, and that's just my opinion. If anybody's, but you know, I don't want to touch any nerves. But um, that's like a whole separate podcast. But the, the thing with uh, with <laughs> <laughs> with our father and actors like that guys what i think what's cool is that they start to own their their problems their regrets their life experiences like you said mike and mm-hmm. they bring in that they're bringing that fuel that recycled pent-up anger and whatever it is sadness all the emotions into they're, they're turning it into a fuel of some sort controlling it and then exhausting it correctly as actors and i think that's what brings them to the relatability table where we then as humans initially respect them the most we've ever respected them throughout their career because they're no longer acting they're playing a character with that experience and that's mm. uh, that's respect and i i admire that in our father and guys like mel gibson who have always been a good actor always mm. but mm. have still evolved like daniel day lewis is my favorite actor for me and 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 seeing his career even if you look at his stuff from the 70s mm-hmm. You look at his eyes, and you look at his eyes now. Like in there will be blood, or uh, Phantom, uh, the Phantom Thread, and you, you just, you just see the evolution. You feel yeah. it after yeah. you see it, and you relate to it as a human. And that that little connection right there, that spark, is where it's at. And that's with anything in the world, filmmaking uh, could be anything really, any type of career form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because both of you are are actors as well so it must this must be really good fuel for you this must be really good research absolutely although sometimes it's hard when we uh when we when we work with our father because he's so but the good thing is we have the speed of the dna to understand what he's saying you know he speaks (laughs) five words it sounds like 200 Ah, and then you're like okay i get it but and we're trying to get our word across calmly you know (laughs) it's like yeah but i've done 60 movies like we know you've done 60 movies but we're trying to show you a new way of doing something it's just a little twinge to it that's all dad (laughs) i'd be like so you were in movies really i don't don't think i've seen any of them (laughs) i get that i get that a lot though i get that a lot from people like who john what yeah i know (laughs) Uh, so has it been has it been difficult I mean, because look, you you have the opportunity because your dad is who your dad is. So you guys have had the opportunity to put your feet in this business and to and to find your own way with this business. Has it been difficult uh, getting out from underneath that? Has it been difficult sort of making well, your own? It's mostly like uh, some like it, it, he doesn't get mad, but like like the contacts like he has. He doesn't really like us using those, so we have to use like friends of friends, you know. <laughs> because it's like he's like, oh, well, what are you doing? Like talking to them, we're like, oh, like you know, just like this, and he's like, oh, okay. So going by my, but like in like a jokingly serious way, you know. Yeah, there's some truth to those jokes, for but sure. but it's uh, yeah, it's cool. We kind of we kind of just have to finesse our own way, but it's still like you know, at least we're like we know the name or we know who you know. We don't have to like. Because there's a lot of other people who are just they have to wait by chance or sure. yeah, yeah. Uh, something along those lines. It's actually funny. A small little example is uh, uh, getting back to like <laughs> if it's hard working with them or whatever. It's not hard. It's just like um, we're all we all have our own uh, individuality, like and that shows <laughs> a lot. But it's also we all have we're all a little bit like the same too. So we the whole uh, we're doing these little comedy skits now. Me and my brother and. Um, 
we did it all started doing one with our father because he was watching like these you know like all these people like the clickbait like funny little skits and everything mm-hmm. and uh, i was showing him i think it was like key and peel or something and, it was, yeah. and he was cracking up and he was like oh like like uh, you should, uh, you should make something like this, and we'll do it. And uh, I can, I can do something like this. And I was like, yeah. I was like, you actually could. And so, uh, <laughs> I I went upstairs, and then uh, I was talking to Chris about it. And he's like, oh yeah, that would be hilarious. And we did this little one where he's like, it's it's on YouTube, but it got like a million views, like two million views in the first like couple of days. And it was just crazy. him like walking down the street like. Uh, of a neighborhood. Um, like, yeah, greeting fans and stuff like that and like like scaring fans and just but it's it's us. It's just us playing different people. And <laughs> that was like at the beginning of the virus. And then um me and Chris was like, "Oh, let's just do this for fun cuz like, you know, uh we we only commute from like uh back and forth to each other and we we we're not really going anywhere where it's closed. So we started doing that and um yeah, it's it's really funny that my dad or our, our dad hops on every once in a while and yeah, like a uh, little guest role here and there. Yeah, but it's uh, <laughs> it's really fun. And then uh, you know we'll uh, we work on other projects too that we need more capital for, but that's for the future. But yeah, 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 it's fun. But you know, I think it comes back down to what we were talking about. Like uh, the originality is where it's at. Like you know, be, having to live up to a name like Jean Claude Van Damme, if you're in the generation we're in, which you guys are. It's not uh, as easy as it is. Yes, we've been given roles in movies. Like my, my brother was played in a, in a couple of movies with my father, uh, one of which we finally finished just 12 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. We shot it back in 08. And I've been in a few, a handful of them with him and had even a fight scene with him in a couple. And, and all that <laughs> stuff is great. But like, it's not... It's, it's the way, it's the way you, you depict your character as an actor, I think. You, you know, by, by being the son of a celebrity... You, you may have the looks and you may have the, the martial arts capabilities in our case and we have the, the physicality and all the aesthetics and all that's great and all, but we're not a repetition of the truth because you can't repeat the truth, really. We're all individual, mm-hmm. like Nick was saying. And so it's very important to know that difference and to own it. And once you own that, you can go a very long way, I think. Right, 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 right. No, totally. And if you look at... If you look at other um, actors that have debt, like if you look at uh, Clint Eastwood's son, he's definitely going his own way. And if you look at like Schwarzenegger's son, who is in um, Daniel Isn't Real, he was great in that movie. Mm. Uh, and uh, Kurt Russell, uh, Wyatt Russell. I fucking love Wyatt Russell. Mm. I think he's a great, he was awesome in, um, oh God, what was the uh, World War II movie about? Uh, it was like Wolfenstein. It was uh, Overlord. He was in that. He was fucking great in that movie. Oh, cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, ultimately they get access or, or you get access because you have that name and you know, Hollywood's a fucking name game and in the audiences, movies are based on actors. So it's like, what was the last Bruce Willis movie? They don't give a fuck who directed it. Most people don't. I know. And it's so fucking sad though, man. But it's the truth of it. It, Actors are are the billboard and names are the billboard. And so, you get that access, and then when you get that access, I feel like the audience can really judge you because the audience is like, okay, so you you got the access, so show me what you fucking got. And it, yeah. I think it's almost unfair that that's the case, but it's that it's that dichotomy where it's like, well, you got access, so now get in there and fucking well, prove it. You like even I mean? then, like you know, you really have to like, oh, well, you have to get an opportunity too. And like what we've had, like like my brother's like a or like a fighting role or something like that. 
we're not like uh, we. My our dad doesn't really have the freedom like like um, like to do a movie with like Jaden Smith and like Will Smith like they right. did together. You know, right. he can't just throw us in that role, which would be sick. Um, but like, is is uh, he has to also adapt to what he's doing as well, and he he's doing a good job at that as well. But he has to, and we understand that he has to focus on his career. So we we kind of he expects us to do our own thing as well, um, which we we enjoy. So we 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 kind of we actually have, we have more fun access, doing it, <laughs> but we don't. Yeah, yeah. So, but any any time if we if we have a question about something, well, I went off on a tangent. When we were shooting these little, uh, we shot this little skit together. We were all uh, we all had our own opinions, just even like the smallest thing, like like oh, but we have to shoot with because it was all shot on an iPhone. The little hmm. comedy skit we did and. We were like, oh, it has to be shot here. And Chris was like, no, 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 it has to be here. And then they like got in an argument. And I was like, no, no, guys, like, because if you go down, like, whatever, like, here. And just, like, small, like, bullshit like that is still just, we should have shot that, actually, just the whole argument about it. But Because uh, we were just out there with, like, juice boxes and, like, just hanging out, you know. Um, but, uh, no, it's just, uh, yeah, you just, we just kind of all got to find our own way, you know, because everybody, it, it really is. Because if you were to tell somebody like, oh yeah, this, there's this Belgium guy and he's gonna be this huge movie star, like, oh, but like, he's from where? Like, because Bel- everywhere, no, no, nobody, I don't think a lot of people knew Belgium. It was yeah, a very he- small country even before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's people will be like bullshit, and then there you go. So everybody has their own path, and it, it, it always is just kind of strange, but it always happens or it doesn't, you know. You know, um, in my in my youth, when I was well, when I was born, I was born in L.A. and I was raised in Belgium. So coming, I was raised by my father's parents, my, our grandparents, and our father's parents. Excuse me again, Nick. I'm sorry. I always speak first person. It's no, sorry. Okay. It's just because we're thinking okay. fast. Um, but um, being coming from Belgium, French was my first language. So coming from Belgium to the states, mm-hmm. uh, and coming from that very simplistic, almost farm life lifestyle was actually very I, I, under, I understand my father where he came from and then Hollywood being new and you know oh here's your first this your first that oh I can have that now I have power finally you know it's like coming from nothing into rags to riches and all that and losing it all and getting it all back that whole roller coaster and us my brother my sister and I going along for the ride for it uh, really helped season us in the arts of I don't want to say survival, but survival of the industry as the offspring sure. of somebody, you know, like yeah. uh, kind of getting the blueprints to how something is built or the game plan of the opposing enemy. Because, you know, the production companies are your enemy until they're your friend. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah totally. Yeah. Totally. You know how totally. it is. One day, one day they're taking you out and then the next day they're, they're taking you to court for some fucking stupid reason. So um, uh, creativity. Yeah. So anyway, the point is coming from Belgium. And being raised with my grandparents that way, I see where my father, where our father came from. But the, you know, it's good to have that dichotomy, that 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 uh, original, very fresh, very internal, very pure, I should say, foundation yeah. of thinking. You know, when you're a yeah. kid running around in the fields, all you do is you hear the insects, you feel the warm of the sun or the cold of the of the blizzard, wherever you are, and the temperature and and the grass and the, your your dog next to you, and you know the way our father tells his stories about his past we really get into it we we always kind of go back to that to try to relate to him you know especially when we have an argument with him because sometimes we 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 butt heads you know and Mm -hmm. uh it's always good to know okay wait a second he's you know he's being an asshole right now but we know who he is inside 
And maybe yeah. I'm being an asshole right now. And maybe yeah. I should go back to my foundation. It's very important to know where you came from as a, as a, as a child, knowing what you want to do in life. Very important. And I, I think that's where all the magic is hiding. I think it's yeah. there. You know? yeah, yeah. No, that's a good outlook, dude. That's a really yeah. good outlook. It's, it's so. good. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, um, well, to get into some, well, to get into some stuff that I'm sure the listeners want to know, was there, uh, do, you, do you have a memory of a film set that you were on? Was there, was there a fascinating film shoot that you were on or a story about a film shoot that you experienced when you were a kid that we were on a set that you can talk about? Oh yeah, absolutely. Nick, do you have any? Uh, I, you know, I really wasn't, uh, I, I think Chris would honestly have more stories about that. So I was on, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no worries. I was on, I, I was on a lot of sets with, with him. I remember when we were on the set of Nowhere to Run, uh, yeah, okay. with, uh, I, I'm a fan of motorcycles, motorcycles, and I'm an avid motorcycle rider and all that. So I, uh, I was all over that, that T1, 100 triumph, T120 triumph. That was the sixties triumph that they had. And, and I, and I, and I was with the dirt bike riders and hanging out with them and stuff. But, but who I, who I didn't get along with was, uh, was Macaulay Culkin's brother who was on that film. <laughs> and I remember one day I was getting, I, was, I always hung out at the, with, the, with the stunt guys at the craft table because they were just chilling there, smoking cigarettes, eating cheese balls. It was, it was, it was awesome for a kid in the 90s, you know? <laughs> and so I remember reaching for a, tr- uh, a, a box of cheese balls, right? And, the, and Macaulay Culkin's brother comes over and grabs the, the, the jar you know, out of, my, out of my, my hands and then grabs a handful of cheese balls and throws them at me, right? And so my grandfather, who I didn't see, saw the whole thing. <laughs> he's, sit, he's sitting on one of the assistant director's chairs behind Video Village, and uh, he gets up, comes over, turns turns Macaulay Culkin's brother around, and just whacks him across the face, <laughs> like bah! And the, and the kid spins one eighty and goes down. And I remember helping him up, and he was crying. I remember helping him up, and my grandfather was like, "Don't ever do that again." Da 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 da. And later on, he came back, he came over, and I was playing on an old Game Boy, and he, you know, we started hanging out. And I remember between takes, he'd come over and say, hey, can I play on your Game Boy? And I'd play with him on the Game Boy and we'd go – and we became friends. And then, you know, after the movie was done, we never spoke again. But but, but, but the, the cool part is I remember that memory and that, that twist of like how he, be, how he changed after that slap across his face eating those cheese balls. And I remember the smell of it and everything. Um, he just needed the right motivation. He just needed the right <laughs> – yeah. A little bit of Eugene Van Varenberg never hurt nobody. That's uh, our grandfather. Um, he's a wonder, he's a wonderful man. He, he, to this day, you know, says, Oh, I shouldn't have done that, but I was protecting you and all that. Yeah, of um, course. I, I, I remember once also, I, I worked on a few different films with him as a kid, you know, and, and, uh, one of them was universal soldier. It was a very, very, very small role, but, uh, I remember being directed and it's an honor still to this day by Roland. I think it was Roland Emmerich who did it, right? Really? Uh, yeah, that's right. It is Roland. Emmerich. Yeah. And, uh, I was on a hill and I had to run down the hill with uh with a rottweiler a dog and it was a flashback of uh, luke Devereux, the character and so uh i hear roland saying okay christopher you have to run run fast <laughs> and i was running and i was running right. so fast and i had this i had this rottweiler <laughs> circling around me that was barking at me but i we grew up with dogs in, in fact two rottweilers at that age and he was like you did a great job a great job christopher okay and i was, I was just <laughs> I was, it was a great memory because i didn't know who the hell this guy was who the hell this guy was? And later on, as you know, you get it, you become older, you learn stories, sure. your dad tells you things as a man, you grow older. And I heard all these stories, these awesome stories from Roland Emmerich. And I saw his movies and I said, oh my God, I was directed by Roland Emmerich. That's fucking rad. 
Dude, yeah. it's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah, it was really cool stuff, man. Like, but I, I think I think out of all my father's movies, I I was on. Uh, I had to at least have been on almost thirty sets. Wow! I, and talk I, about yeah. an education at that point. So when yeah. you're on these sets, were you just being a kid and you're just like hanging out with the stunt guys and looking at the motorcycles, or are you actually <laughs> are you watching? Uh, do you have the wherewithal to see how it's been done and how it's being put together? Or were you at that point yet, or was it just still like wow, crazy, you know? Oh, absolutely. No, no. I, you know, every movie set I, I uh, ventured onto and through with my dad and my mom at the time, um, I, I wanted to know more about the film industry because I saw, I, you know, I saw, I saw what they did from in person to the camera. And then I saw the cameras and I'd look at the framing and I'd go back to the video village and I'd see where they cut off the framing and ask questions. Well, what's this for? Oh, that's the sun. So you can see the video village monitor. What's this for? Oh, that's our time code count for this, for this daily, for this take. Oh, cool. How do you clean the film? Cause back then we were shooting film. So yeah, no, yeah. it was no HD. Um, and all this, you know, talking about DPs, DPs about lighting and what the, what bounces do and what this 10 K to 4 K mean and all that jazz. And, um, Set coordinators, makeup, the makeup department. I loved hanging out at the makeup department. I remember this. It was, uh, I think it was the quest. It was, I was wrapped already because I played my father young in the quest. And uh, his personal makeup artist, Zoltan, I forgot his last name, Zoltan, a Spanish guy, really cool guy, master fisherman, taught me how to fish. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, he's like, okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to tape, you're going to tape your finger and we're going to put a fake finger. We're going to pretend that it was cut off. You know, because you're playing by the buzz saws. You're going to run to your mother and you're going to scream. And I said, okay. So I remember I was running through this old uh, village set that was, I think, the final fight temple set. And I'm running through screaming at the top of my lungs and they're shooting a take. My dad's fighting uh, the main guy or one of the other guys. And through, not through the take, but <laughs> behind the wall where the stadium was, you hear this blood curdling scream of a little kid going, oh my God, my head, mama. And I'm running through and my mom's screaming. And then you got her yelling. <laughs> my, they're, they're yelling, cut. My dad's trying to find me and I've got my my hand cut, my finger cut off, and there's fake blood everywhere. Disaster. <laughs> but <laughs> And you, it was just a practical joke? Yeah, so and I, I start laughing. I'm, oh, my God, my dad was so pissed, but he couldn't help but start laughing. He started laughing. And the director started laughing. Well, he directed the movie, but his assistant director started laughing. And everybody started laughing. Before you know it, he got the whole fucking set cracking up, and five minutes has gone by, and that's, that's precious production time. <laughs> so, yeah, good stuff like that. A lot of cool memories on set, man. Oh, dude, it's so cool, man. That's great. That's yeah. like, you know, the, there's a bit of envy there. Like, what, I feel the same way when I look at, um, like, Eastwood, right? Like, Clint Eastwood is an amazing fucking director. But then you look at his school, his film school, mm. which essentially was all the movies that he was on set for and the people that he worked with, like Sergio Leone, like all the old school greats. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and being able to be that close and... You know, it's an interesting thing as a director trying to learn how to do your craft because I've said this before on the show, directing is a very lonely position. And it's, you, you more often than not, unless you're very lucky and you have good friends that are other directors, you don't get to go see directors work, you know, because there's like an ego thing sometimes, there's an insecurity thing sometimes. So having like another director on set sort of examining what it is that you're doing, unless you're really good friends, it's, it's kind of rare. Um, and so... Looking at actors that become directors like Clint Eastwood, looking at situations that you were in, which is really cool, you get to see those little moments. And those the moments that always fascinate me are like how directors deal with drama, how directors deal with problems, and how they communicate their idea 
subtly to folks and get it to work. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm sure you've had plenty of experience seeing that kind of stuff. And there's a bit of envy there because I'm like, fuck, you got to see all that stuff that's red. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah you, you know, though, Mike, I think, uh, I think some people who aren't born in it tend to be more attentive and aware to it because they don't know. So they have to force themselves and it comes down to your willpower to want to be a filmmaker and, and which which you mm. mastered, like you said before, and you're mastering every every single day with every single production forward is, you know, you don't know what it's like on the other side. So you really want to know like an explorer, like a pioneer, right? You just mm. you have this motivation. But when you're born in it, some people, they don't, it's just maybe it's not in them. They just don't. It's already there, so it's easy for them. Now, with my brother right. and I, I'm not saying it's easy for us because it's not. We uh, we choose to want to go the extra mile as the um, offspring of a celebrity. It's a different approach. It's not the same track as someone who's completely new to it. You know, mm. like like our father was before us, which is why he has evolved in in the time frame he's evolved, made the decisions he's made. But we've got, like we said, a schematic to the errors and the successful jumps he's made and we can apply that to our lives. So for us it's like, mm. oh okay, I can kind of see what it's like ahead. But it's a it, it's a generic approach. It's not like that's the blueprint of my life. It's sure, just, sure, sure. That's that's it could go that way if I make this decision. Now of course times change. The 90s were completely different than than, than now. You can't get away with a lot of things now. You can't do a lot of things now that you could do in the 90s and and vice versa in the opposite manner. So um, I think your your way of coming up from where you came from uh, is is actually as impactive as our father's because you consistently I don't want to say forced yourself but pushed yourself to that limit mm -hmm. to want to know more and that's what makes you that much that much greater of a filmmaker each and every project you you conduct as a director right mm, well yeah hopefully yeah, yeah I mean it shows I mean I've seen your work it shows man oh, editing thanks, man. everything thanks. it shows thanks yeah. Thanks, dude. Um, well, where are we at for time? Oh, dude, we're, ki we're killing it right now. So this has been fantastic so far. How are you guys doing on time? Are you guys okay? Yeah. Good, yeah. good. Um, I have to plug my computer in, but yeah, we are. <laughs> hold on. All right, so I've been silent for a second, though. It's all good. It's all good. Um, so let's talk. Uh, so... It must have been, I don't know if, I don't think I asked this question yet, but it must have been fascinating uh, dealing with <laughs> being in a household, especially uh, you, Chris, being in a household with two like fitness fit individuals. Like, I don't imagine the cupboard was full of like Pop-Tarts and you guys were eating McDonald's twice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fitness is a big part of my life and hence, you know, hence the question and the, and the interest. Um, my, my brother and I train almost every day together and, uh, and it comes down from like, you know, subconscious feeding, uh, you know, be in shape, stay in shape, eat healthy. But, um, our father, our father, I mean, he's been training me in, in the arts of, of Martin martial arts since I was about five or seven years old. You know, it's crazy. Um, it's crazy. now, now, now in our, in our recent years, the last uh, 10, 15 years, I haven't literally sparred with him the way I used to when I was younger. But, um, and also, you know, the age difference and now it's harder for him and, and easier for me. And the sparring is more of like a stretching technique or a, Hey, let me, uh, let me show you how to do this while we're on set. We, we don't consistently train together like we used to. But, um, the good thing is, is he, he fed us the foundation. And with my mother, uh, Gladys Portuguese was a, uh, professional bodybuilder in the mid eighties and actually yeah. had a very successful career before, 
uh, our father's career. She had, she, you know, yeah. she chose to uh, stop her career to be a stay at home mom and, and, wow. and, and raise two kids, my sister and I. Um, and, and now Nick's mother actually is a cha- is, is an athlete herself. She's um, a rodeo champion riding horses. And I don't know the exact term Nick can tell you, but uh, I mean, amazing athlete as well. And an amazing an- like horse whisper, the way she talks to horses and animals is unbelievable. Her whole house, wow. is, she has goats, animals, uh, fucking uh, yeah, I birds. Yeah, I go back there. <laughs> Crazy. It's beautiful, <laughs> but um, no, she's a uh, she's a barrel, barrel racer for um, rodeos. But she's been like the there's like this national pro rodeo that happens in Vegas. Wow! Um, but it's yeah, she made she's made it to that. But she's like broken her fingers and arms and uh, got a plate in her neck and everything. But she she loves horses, so she breeds them now. Like wins a few races, like big ones, and then tries to sell them off. Just a little side thing, but it's really cool. That's I'm crazy. proud of her for that, and then uh, Mama G is what I call her. Uh, Gladys is is uh, amazing mom though too, um, and we have a great relationship as well. Even though she's not technically, you know, my biological mom, but yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've had so many memories in the '90s um, with Nick's mom. So many great memories. I remember I had I had my first Johnny Rockets milkshake with Darcy, <laughs> and she she took me one day. I think we left a meeting. Uh, with our father, he was at a meeting. We went to go visit him, and she's like, "You want a milkshake?" And I said, "Yeah." And so we 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 sped with her Range Rover. She had a, she had this very fast Range Rover, I remember. And we sped down Ventura Boulevard to go to Johnny Rockets before they closed. And we were the last people in there having a milkshake. And it was the, it was a cool memory. I told my brother about it recently. Like recently, it's just awesome little memories like that that I remember as a kid. But our moms, you know, besides our dad being in the picture, our moms really raised us. Uh, you know, our moms really raised us well, and uh, yeah, my yeah. my grandparents raised raised me well, and 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 the kids also. But I was very close to them. But uh, our moms played a big role in our lives, and uh, you know, it's just it's a it's a whole different uh, it's a whole different story and point of view. But you got the uh, you got the you got the under Jean Claude Van Damme side, and you got the under Gladys Portuguese and Darcy Lapierre side, and the the meshed opinions of those two worlds based on what we've seen as as kids. Yeah. And, you know, the hard times and the positive times, it's a very interesting weave. It's like carbon fiber. It's very resilient. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, you uh, can tell, honestly, to be completely candid, you can tell because you don't sound like a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's 100% true. <laughs> like, we, we live in a time period. Uh, look, we live in a time period where, you know, the, the quote unquote, the normies, the people on the outside that are looking in, the ones that sort of uh, put the Kardashians on a pedestal and, and all these different celebrity families on a pedestal. And we, yeah. to a certain extent, kind of celebrate, eh, kind of celebrate assholes. You know what I mean? Like there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a part of it yeah, that's there. it's nuts. It's really nuts. And then <laughs> so to have this conversation with you guys, because the formula is there for that. It just seems from the outside to be like, okay, so these guys are John Clyde Van Damme's kids and, you know, Silver Spoon lifestyle, that whole kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's instantaneous. Like as soon as I had this conversation with you prior to the show, I was just like, okay, these guys are done. <laughs> these Not guys cool, are dudes man. that, 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 oh, thanks. That's yeah, we'd be drinking beers and hanging out and talking. Oh, shit, we'd definitely so. be drinking yeah. beers and hanging out. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll figure out a way. Don't worry. Uh, but it's, it's, it's dude, it's really, A, it's a great surprise. B, it's, it's really nice to hear. And, um, it's it's just been a pure pleasure, and I'm not ending the show right now. I'm just I'm coming back to that point. Is that thank you, Mike? It's a pleasure to to know that 
you guys are not the norm when it comes to that. And I think that being, because I just moved out here to California a year ago, like right before COVID, because I grew up in Boston, East Coast kid. So oh, you cool. Can probably, you can probably tell about my candor. I love it. Yeah, it's kind of no bullshit. But, um, yeah, yeah, sure. That's great. But coming from the East Coast and being that it took me forever to do the LA move um, because I had a good thing going there. And I always thought that I didn't need to be here. And I thought it was um, uh, an important thing. And I learned my lesson. I knew that some of this is necessary. But I was always afraid to do that move because everything I had heard is like California's fake and everybody's fucking fake. And there's the whole... California lifestyle and then the disparity of wealth and people that grew up around wealth and how they end up being. And mm. um, it's been fascinating, actually, because a lot of that isn't true, which yeah. is interesting. And, yeah. and, you know, it's difficult because we set these rules as people. We set these boundaries or we set these definitions as a safety net. And you sort of sit there and you go, okay, so when I come out here, I just got to be prepared because a lot of these people aren't going to be genuine. A lot of these people aren't going to be real. Um, yeah. Yeah. You got to watch out for that. No, that's true. Yeah. yeah and it goes, then, it, it's, it's uh, sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, 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 no. Totally, man. This you're, you're the guest. So no, 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 keep, please, please continue. You're on a roll. I don't want to, I don't want to step over your toes. It's all good. Well, no, I just gonna, I was just going to say that, um, it's just, it, it's consistently proving itself wrong and it's, it, it's fascinating and it's exciting to, to, to see it that way because then, I don't have to live under that stereotype that was created for me, which it's, is It's so true, man. It's like, you know, you think um, they, they say, you know, you don't want to meet your heroes, which is not always true. You, you, uh, for, for, for me, for example, I'm a huge fan of Keanu Reeves and, mm -hmm. and I'd love to meet him one day. And I've, I've had all these chances to meet him, but I, I never I somehow had to do something else. And I received a photo from my friend with him. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like stuff like that. Like the, on my yeah. bike racing through Los, not racing, going fast through LA to get to a meeting to my agent or something. I've, I've seen him on a bike as well. And, you know, so they say never meet your heroes, but sometimes you got to filter out all the bullshit of the people that represent these people. And yeah. before you know it, you're in a bar somewhere at a restaurant and you're conversing with, let's just use Keanu Reeves as an example, and he's the coolest guy. Apparently, he's the coolest guy, and you can confirm that. And that's, yeah. you don't have to deal with his agent, or he doesn't want to talk right now, or he doesn't want, people who speak for you, because they, they don't have self-worth self to, to, to be able to say, hey, you know what, let me try to set something up. You know, yeah. let me try to uh, just be a human here and connect two cool people because you seem cool. I think uh, the guy I represent would like you. No, it's all about like, well, then what's my, what am I getting out of it? And yeah, yeah. LA has got a lot of that crap, but you got to like, like you're doing, Mike, you made the move. You got to filter all the crap out and you got to know yourself enough to be able to plow through the bullshit because it's thick, man. Yeah, it seems that way. <clears throat> it, it definitely does. And, and it seems like this business has got like two different types of folks. You get the folks that are the commodity, right? You get mm. the folks that that know how to create uh, something that people want to see, that know how to fucking kick high, whatever the fuck it is. They And then you have the folks that surround themselves around that commodity and they make a career at speaking for that commodity. And it's this it's this interesting, because we see it, I've seen it with music videos for years and, and directing music videos for like the Wu-Tang Clan and, and oh, being able cool, to, man. to hang out with people that you consider heroes. And there have been a few times where I've hung out with someone that was a hero that sucked. And you're just like, God yeah. damn it, why? Why? This is ruining your entire catalog for me. This is ruining everything for me. Why did I fucking do this? It's a um, bummer. And you, once you have one or two of those experiences, you become really afraid of it. 
And so there have been times where it's like, I don't know if I want to meet this person because I really like them right now. Um, but uh, it's been surprising, I guess. Well, long story short, long diatribe, whatever the fuck that was. It's been surprising. <laughs> no, no, but it's true. You're so right. It's, uh, and, and it'll always be surprising each and every day. You know, it's so funny how something so simple can become so successful. Like uh, Star Wars, for example, started on a napkin in a diner, apparently. And yeah. uh, now look, right? So, it, yeah. I mean, anything can go anywhere. It just depends on how you, how you represent yourself and how you step, do your walk. Because it's better to wait 10 more years, uh, or not wait, to work hard for 10 more years than to be mm -hmm. successful fast but have, have substance that will die out sooner. Yeah, t totally. You know? Totally. You see that with um, – music is a great com comparison here. You see that with younger – musicians right like if you're a hot topic right you're a 19 year old 18 year old musician that comes out of the basement somewhere and the label decides that you're going to be the next big fucking thing and your album comes out and it's massive you know mm. what i mean how do you follow that up how do you actually continue like you were saying before keep the bar where it's supposed to be and then do you know eight more kicks in this fucking movie like how do you yeah. continue mm. to, to, to maintain that especially if you get in when you're so young and our business is a business of telling stories. Our business is the business of conveying experience. And so yeah. if you don't have that experience, or if you get put into a sheltered thing, like if you look at Metallica, right? Mm. Metallica kicked fucking ass when they first came out. They were angry. They were frustrated. They knew how to like uh, create a, a rabid fucking army. I think they called their fans an army for years. Um, and it was all built upon that urgency, that need to be successful, that need to tell their story, to build it on their own and to make this thing happen. And their music, you know, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, you get all the way to the Black Album and it's just, you feel it. You're like, this is so fucking good. And it speaks to you because they're taking all the raw emotions that they're processing and the raw creativity and that raw excitement and they're cramming it into an album, right? Mm. Then you cross that threshold where you start listening to them and it's like, these guys are driving around in Range Rovers now. <laughs> these guys are <laughs> dropping their daughters off at school. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> then you start to hear it in the albums after that. And you're like, okay, so you guys just in this sheltered bubble right now that that uh, isn't allowing you to have these experiences. Because the average Joe Citizen doesn't want to know about, you know, how you had to call fucking someone to fix your fucking flat tire on a fucking Range Rover. <laughs> I, I do. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll help him. <laughs> uh, but it's it's fascinating, and I, you know I don't it know is. whether the, the story conveyed it correctly. But you know, no, no, it's, no. It's a, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's yeah. uh, it's an interesting. It's an it's the way things just grow, man. It's the way they. Uh, it's the way they they're born, and all that passion in the beginning, and then you, you launch. Now you're in space, and things seem to be moving slow, but they're moving really fast, picking up speed. And then as soon as you hit another atmosphere, things slow down again, get real, you know, it's, mm -hmm. um, it really is just, it's the process of the beast. And I, it, here's what it is. It's like, you look at Quentin Tarantino and the guy is so original. My brother and I love Quentin Tarantino and we love the Coen brothers yeah. a lot. We actually have a yeah. lot of, uh, we like to study their stuff cause we're brothers and we like to see how brothers think with brothers and you know, how to, how to, you know, depict a, a story with two minds. And, yeah. and let's say, let's just say one camera because it looks always like it's one camera, but it's, it's, it never is. <laughs> but um, the originality these people have, they, 
they never change. They're, they're always themselves and they own it, man. And Tarantino crosses the line in almost every movie. And who gives a <laughs> fuck if you cross the True. line? I yeah, love no I kidding. love crossing the line if it looks good and makes sense emotionally. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. fine, why not? Well, dude, because okay, this is an, another interesting little thing as directors. There's the language of cinema, and I talk about this on the show all the time. The, the language of cinema, meaning that the audience has seen things in the past and they associate specific emotions to those things, right? So, based upon uh, what a hundred plus years of history has had. If you look at a shot with a 50 millimeter lens, it means something emotionally first. And if you uh, <clears throat> do a dolly push in from a low angle, that means something emotionally first, just because that language has been established with other films. Mm-hmm. Now, I think a lot of people look at that as rules and they go, well, the rule is <laughs> if you're going to do it this way and if you're going to do coverage for a scene, you need to get close up, close up wide. That's the rule. And it's like, okay, you can look at it that way or you can read the room. So with language and with what you say, you may break the rule. You may say the wrong fucking thing because you intentionally want that audience reaction. Mm. And that's the mode. So I think the danger is is that a lot of folks will, at least back in my day, because now it's all YouTube, but back in my day when you went to film school, You'd read the books and you'd study the rules and you'd have a film professor that was like, here are the rules. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And there are certain rhythms that make sense, like block, light, shoot, right? Mm. That makes sense because it's just going to save your day. You don't want to break that fucking rule because it's just going to change your schedule. But, (laughs) But if you're looking at how to do coverage and crossing the line, I've worked with with directors and filmmakers and editors that are like, you can't fucking do that. And I go, yes, I can. And, <laughs> and I'm doing it because I want your reaction. I want you to be fucking frustrated with it. And that's why I'm doing it. And that's going to fuel the next series of shots or the next series of scenes is that mindset that I'm putting you in. So if you're fucking confused here, cool. That's important. You're supposed <laughs> to be. Um, and I think that that transcends into how films are shot right now. So like, because, uh, this is such a diatribe, but because uh, our business is so controlled by manufacturers right now, where it's like, what camera do you use? What's the uh, edit system that you use? And you're not a real filmmaker unless you're shooting with this or doing that. And so it's become so very technical based for mm. a lot of young filmmakers where they're like, you got to shoot it this way. It has to be stabilized. Uh, you got to get rid of this. You got to do that. And what they're doing is they're, not really paying attention to the language of cinema and they're following the instruction manual for the fucking gear. Mm-hmm. And so then your films just feel really pasteurized. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but a lot of the stuff all feels the same right now or feels like a, yeah, yeah. a, a, dist- a distillation of like a, like a really good thing, like uh, Fincher. Like how many fucking directors out there want to be David Fincher, right? but they're not fucking David Fincher. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. yeah. They, like there, like how many Netflix shows? Like Dark, Dark wants to be a Fincher show. Like it just totally does. Yeah. It's not David Fincher because Fincher doesn't have rules. Fincher has his brain. He has that fucking filter. Yeah, that he's processing everything through, and no matter how hard you try, and if you get hired to direct the second Girl with the Dragon Tattoo because your stuff looks like David Fincher, it doesn't end up being his work because. He doesn't have fucking rules. He has his brain. He's exactly. not trying to recreate something. Yeah. Else.
All right, so back. We're back from a piss break and uh, getting some uh, technical shit taken care of, and uh, we're back in. In school, um, they used to they used to call re, you know they used to call names, and the you know, kids would say present, present. And the teacher <laughs> and the students had this thing against me. My, my name's Chris with a K, you know. So they yeah. would say uh, Christina, and then uh, they'd wait because I wouldn't reply. Like, Christina. And be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not replying to you, Christina. Uh, yeah, I'm present, and everybody would get a shit ton of laughing out of it. Then I learned martial arts, and they all stopped. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. Because <laughs> uh, you know, Mike's like, hey, present, everybody here. Like, I guess I had to, I had to tell you some some past history, <laughs> some, some trauma that I just triggered. <laughs> oh my god, I love it, brother. It's great. Are you kidding me? Oh my god. <laughs> it shapes who I am now. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's, dude, with everybody, like, um, I've I've referenced it on a few episodes of the show, but we did a show uh, that was really good with a musician, um, a guy that I I love, uh, Big Black Delta. Loved this guy. And, oh yes, um, yes, yes. And uh, we did an episode where he had a really good point, uh, where he was talking about. I'm gonna fuck this up, and Liam, you can always correct me. But he was talking about how when we're younger. We have experiences that we go through. We have situations in which uh, we're either have to stick up for ourselves or we have to sort of process some trauma in our lives. And we create something within ourselves to do that. We create, whether it's a comfort or whether it's uh, a system of doing things in order to get our way through it. And what happens is a byproduct, because it sort of hits us at our adolescence or at our preteens and that age period, it sort of sticks with us. And so we sort of keep this thing, at least I did, you keep this thing in, which is the way you process it, where it's like, I'm an outsider, you know, I'm an outsider because I never really could fit in. And this is how I do stuff. And I'm an outsider. And so then you start processing the stuff that happens in your life that way. And then as we get older, we experience a stress, we experience a trigger and that comfort, that inner voice, he called it his like inner bro or something like that, hmm. comes out and it's like, yo, it's ready to step forward and go, fuck them because they don't know. And it's you hit this point as an adult where you have to turn to that person and go, look, I appreciate that you're there, but I don't need you anymore. Mm. And it's, it's this interesting moment that he had on show. Did I fuck that up, Liam? Was that right? Uh, you got like 75% of the way there, and that's what counts. <laughs> Fantastic. You got the tone of it, man. You got the tone of it. All right, all right. Well, yeah. Okay, good. Don't, don't listen to your inner voice, people. Listen to the episode with Big Black Delta to hear what he actually said. <laughs> there it is. Okay, good, Oh, good, that's good, great. Good. I love it. <laughs> you guys it was, have a good camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he but, shits on me and then gives me a softball every now and then. That's uh, the inner voice right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, but it was relevant to what we were saying. So yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's good to use it's good to use uh past experiences as a uh a, a force that can give you an oomph, but don't let it consume you, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's good to uh recycle that fuel into uh, a positive fuel for the for the evolved version of what you once were, who you once were, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, you could take it and shape it. It's like clay, and then you could make your the weapon you need in order to defeat that boss of that level, whatever it is. 
<laughs> as, as geeks, we're all here. We're- <laughs> I was just going to say, that is, a, that is how I expect a son of Jean-Claude Van Damme to, <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to beat that well, boss. My, I just imagine brother- that when you were a kid, your dad would just come in and tell you stories like, if you're going to beat the boss to this oh, level. Oh, I got a story. Yeah. I got a story for you. You actually just, oh, I got, I got a good story for you guys. You're going to okay, love it. Okay, okay. So, so my father, when, um, when we were young, uh, he, used to, he used to love to scare us. Like he used to love to just hide in the hallway at night and just scare us. And you're you're a you're a fan of horror films, right, Mike? Mm-hmm. So you're gonna you're gonna love this. Um, this one night, I think it was, it was around when Friday the Thirteenth came out in the nineties. Uh, that was that the first one or the second one? I can't. I think it was the first one. Okay, I can't remember exactly, but it was around that time. Uh, Sleepy Hollow had come out as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Tim Burton's, and so as a kid. Younger kid, I was I was a bit terrified. I got you know I was I see I saw everything in double, and you know your mind is is about is pure, and you you see everything for what it is, and the colors are brighter, um, and all those sharp teeth on uh, uh, who played Sleepy Hollow before his head was cut off was it oh, uh, uh, Walken, William, Christopher, well, Christopher Walken? Walken. Christopher Walken. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you see that face, and you're like, oh my god, you know. And so <clears throat> I was uh, I was in my bedroom. And it was uh, 10, 30, 11, but for, you know, past curfew, all that jazz, it's trick stuff. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting to go to sleep. And I, my sister and I had this, this Jack and Jill set up room where she had her room. We'd share the bathroom, two sinks, and then it'd be my room. And then uh, the hallway out of my room would connect to the hallway out of the front door of her room. So my father found a way to sneak in through her room, get into the Jack and Jill set up, the connecting bathroom, and leave the doors slightly open. You know, and I'd wake up to that... <laughs> The door, you know, creaking open. I'd say, "Hello," you know, and, and and there would be no response. And then I would look, and your eyes would start to adapt to the to the lighting because I just turned off the lights, so things are still pitch black. And eventually, things start to adapt. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I see something looking at me through the door, and I see it move. And I'm and I'm 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 trying to call out from my mother. I can't. I'm not even thinking about my father. I'm trying to call out from my mother at this point, and I'm and I can't. I can't even get M M and O out. And all of a sudden, the front door to my room just creaks open. Both had a creak. Fantastic. Unfortunately for me, both had a really creepy creak. So the front door creaks open, and, I, and there's, a, there's a sliding glass mirror there, and I can see something. And my father dressed up with like pillows in his back and shit. And he looks massive because as a kid, you know, first of all, your dad is big to you. And at the same time, he has all of his muscle. And on top of that, he's packing himself with pillows. And he's wearing this what looks like burnt mask with like the hat from the guy from I know what you did last summer <laughs> it looks like fucking gargoyle looking at me and it's going from the front door and I can hear him walking and doing this sound going to my sister's room and she sleeps like a rock she's not hearing anything and he's looking at me from door to door and this goes on for like 15 minutes 15 minutes which felt like a lifetime and so at one point he runs away and I get up and I make the dash from my parents' room and I bang on the door. Somehow, I don't know how he did it. He got back to his room undressed. I didn't see anything. I didn't see the mask. I didn't see the, clo- the, the clothes. And he answered the door and he's like, what's going on? What's going on? I, I, I'll show you. I'll, I'll kill the monster. And he goes into the room and breaks down and he goes under my bed. It's like, where is it? I'll, I'll kill him. <laughs> <laughs> like trying to make me feel like he's the hero. And, and, and two, three years later, as I grew up, I found that I was him. And I, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me, man. So, so he distilled this, uh, this, uh, this suspenseful film, film creative 
mindset into us when we were kids by just like chasing us down the hallways and hotels and acting like this creature. And that's the that's the part that I really I really love about my father in so many ways is that he really made time with his kids to uh, to to just do those things. And that's what made us who we are as creative people today, plus who we are naturally and with our, what our mothers distilled into us as well. Sure, um, you know. But but that hybrid was great, and I I just had to tell you that because. What you said reminded me of uh, of that story. Dude, it's great, man. It, you know, in those moments, that's when you feel lucky, right? That's when you feel lucky that you have a parent that's Well, well I, I wanted to fucking kill him at that time. Yeah, but, of course. But, but yes, I know what you mean. Of course. <laughs> so now, now, I try to, now I try to fucking scare him once in a while here and there, but... <laughs> He'll just grip his heart and fall at this point. You gotta be I'm, I'm afraid I'm afraid he's gonna have a heart attack. I don't want to fuck with him too much. <laughs> he's been through uh, too much. <laughs> dude, it's great. Man. Yeah, but th- like those are those are the really important things, man. And the, and those are the things that you remember as a kid. I'm I dude, I've got plenty of stories like that of my parents scaring us or me and my mom teaming up and scaring my younger siblings. Like, oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> dude, the, the, those adventures. Are so fucking like uh, like I got a story. I'll tell a story for it. Like please, when we were younger, so I was the oldest, and so my mom did the same thing that your mom did. She essentially decided to be a stay at home mom, and that became her job. And mm. completely love and respect her for it because it made us who we are. It mm. really, I feel like uh, amongst all my friends, I'm one of the few that had that opportunity uh, to be raised that way, and I I cannot give her more gratitude for it. That was her job. And she did her job 24 hours a day for fucking how many years? Like 20 something years. You know what God I mean? Bless. It's beautiful. It's, it's a great thing. So anyway, one of the things that I had uh, with her, cause I'm a bit older than the rest of them was uh, she would have me as her chore person. So I'd be essentially working with her to take care of stuff. And there was one day mm. we were hanging downstairs in the basement in the laundry room and uh, my dad was refurbishing one side of the basement. He wanted to make it into sort of like a billiard room. And so he had a pool table and he was doing a little bar back there. Hey, cool. And <clears throat> my younger brothers and sisters were really small. They were probably 10, 11, like really young, curly mm. locks, curly hair. They would bounce around all the time. <laughs> and my mother was concerned because my dad was putting in a fridge down there. And she was concerned the kids would go down and get locked in the fridge and suffocate, you know? So she was oh, always really okay, worried yeah. by that. And so she would tell them, she's like, don't go into the basement. And she's smart. She'd say to them, don't go down in there. There's a creature. That lives oh my God. Great. In the refrigerator. There's a creature that lives in that refrigerator. And you don't want to go near it. <laughs> and so we were down there uh, doing laundry and we, my brothers and sisters were outside playing in the backyard and there was a door that goes into the basement and we saw them, come down and open the door to the basement because you can get out where you're not supposed to go. And so my mother and I hide around the corner and, <laughs> and we watch these two little heads, these two little curly locked hair heads just sort of bouncing past the billiard table and they go back around the back end of the bar and we see the light from the refrigerator. They open the refrigerator and my mother looks at me and she's standing there, and there was construction equipment all over the place because they were working. Mm. And there's this giant wet and dry vac that's right there. And so as the <laughs> kids open the refrigerator door, she turns on the wet and dry vac. <laughs> 
Love it. And so the two of them scream, scream on the top of their lungs, and they come bolting, and they run right by us. They don't even see us. It's pure fear. <laughs> Great. Pure fear. Run all the way upstairs, and they're up banging on the door upstairs to let them, to let them in. And my mother and I are laughing so hard, and we climb the stairs. She's like, get control of yourself. Get control of yourself. She goes and she opens the back door and my brother and sister like tears in their eyes, like red face, tears in their eyes, crying their eyes out. And they're like, oh my God. My mother opens the door and she looks at him and she goes, you went down there, didn't you? And they, <laughs> they, 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 go, they go, oh yes, I did. I did. And they go, she goes, did you open, did you open the fridge? And they go, yeah. And she goes, you let it out. Oh my gosh. But that's smart though. That's smart. I love it. It's so I love it. And now we have to defend ourselves. <laughs> but the byproduct was is that she had built a playroom down there for the kids. So once the construction was done, they never wanted Oh to go shit, there. no way. <laughs> yeah. was, was, was it just this abandoned playing field and he turned yeah. to something else after? Yeah. Basically, he was just like, get downstairs. No, we don't want to get on there. It was that, it was that move <laughs> all the time. Oh. So. oh, my God. But yeah, but hey, man, you know, oh. that's great timing. Fantastic oh. timing. That's all. I love that stuff, man. When, you, when it just happens that way. <laughs> Dude, it, it, and it makes sense why I'm a horror movie director. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. You yeah. know, I wanted to. I wanted to talk to you about some 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 stuff in the, the suspense buildup in, in a in a in a scene when someone is going into a room or or mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I, there was one film in the I think I, you might know this more than me. I, I do not remember. Someone, I think it was a DP who told me this. Uh, my father and works with the DP Doug Milsom. You know, do you know who Doug Milsom is? I know of the name is very familiar. I he could shot. Look it up. Uh, he shot Full Metal Jacket. Uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Worked yeah, with yeah, yeah. worked with Kubrick many years. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Eyes wide shut. Uh, very very excellent DP. Amazing guy. And what a what stories he's got that guy. Um, but oh but he told me about a movie that he absolutely loved in the fifties, and it was a horror film, black and mm-hmm. white film, mm-hmm. um, where the camera. Never, never cut into the room that the people were about to open the door of. Hmm. It would, they would, the camera would stay behind the people. And I, and I, and he said the way it was shot was so, it was like Alfred Hitchcock meets, I, I forget I exactly what movie it is. It was, it was, it's like in a house and these people are locked in this house, I believe, and they're trying to find their way out and they're going through different rooms. So so perhaps the premise helped, the way they shot it helped that premise, the story, right? What's yeah, behind yeah. door number one, two, and three? And yeah. the camera would never cut into the room as the door opens. The camera would stay over the shoulder and mm-hmm. the door would open and they'd step inside. And once they were in the, the space, the audience mm-hmm. could then f- uh, freely float around the space as the camera cut into the space. So right. it was a really cool way. And, and he showed me some scenes from it. This was back, he told me about this back in 2000, I think in 12 or 13. And uh, when I went to see, when he showed me clips of the movie, uh, I, I said to myself, my God, this is, this is timeless shooting. Yeah. The way they yeah. shot it. Yeah. You, you, you put this in a, in a 4K or HD and put a, a film grain on it and you got yourself a classic 80s horror movie. But sure. with, this, with this twist, this approach. And I thought you might get a kick out of it. I wish I got the title, but it's cool because when I watched it, I noticed something, Mike. I noticed that I was so terrified. I did not want them to open that door. I did not want, I did not want to cut into that room and yet I wanted to. But I, I was hmm. so happy that I felt protected behind the actor. Hmm. It was like he was my first wave of defense. 
And so as a horror director, I think you might appreciate that film. Check it out. I'm, I'll find the name for you. I got to look yeah, it up. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, I got yeah, to find the name. I'm going to message Doug and, and, and see what the name was and look it up on YouTube. It's a 50s horror movie. The camera never cuts into the room. It's, it's yeah. really cool. I forgot who directed it too. It must have been that. Well, you have me fucking curious, my man. So. Yeah, it's right up your alley. You, you might appreciate you can even apply that to a, uh, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if the director um, wasn't as well-renowned as he was, but the film was very interesting, could have been a one-hit wonder for its time, you know? Yeah. No, sounds fascinating, man. Yeah, the, wow. like the art of suspense is such a, such a wild craft. And yeah. um, it's, <clears throat> it's, 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 there are all sorts of little bits about each genre that are very sort of interesting and like comedy, like how do you get a uh, good, com- like a good co- comedic performance and what is the pacing for comedy and how are you pacing out when the audience is going to laugh and when the person says the next thing, like there's all sorts of interesting aspects of that. And it's the same thing with horror and suspense. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm a big fan of suspense and I think suspenseful movies are scarier than let's say gory body count kind of I agree movies. I agree a thousand percent yeah yeah so like the the art of suspense is interesting and for years I studied Hitchcock because he's the legend mm. and then uh went from there and studied all the other greats and Carpenter and all these different folks and um the thing that I find the most interesting about horror movies is that they're still commercially viable and it's still kind of the only medium where you can set a tone. You can spend time setting a tone. Um, mm-hmm. And yes. in that yes. tone building, you sort of set the rules for your suspense. Like you said, like not cutting into the room, letting the, the actors go into the room. That's the rules that he set, that director set for that tone, which is fascinating. Right. Uh, um, but I, I, I'm consistently and will continue to be a student of this. It's... Oh, How do you the, the horror genres? One of the hardest genres, yeah, dude. It's it very really difficult. It's very difficult. Like uh, for the Who's There short, I know I sent you that stuff. For, yes, for Who's There it was a difficult thing to cut because when you're when you're shooting it, it's the most boring shit. It's like someone walking down a hallway and you know, shot of their foot, shot of their hand, reaching for the doorknob. Yeah, but in your mind, it's not boring. That's that's you know, you know, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, but but then when I'm editing it, I have to edit with sound. So I have to sound design it while I'm editing it because right. you can't tell the pacing. You can't tell the suspense until you're adding all those different elements. It's a fucking crazy and fun kind of thing to play with. And I, dude, I love it. Like I can't wait for these projects to kick off because there are so many different theories that I have uh, on suspense and theories on how I can draw people into certain aspects of it that you yeah you really can't fucking put into play until you're making the movie so mm, yes um, you know my favorite part about who's there was my favorite part in that entire short okay was was and just so you know this uh was when the girl well the i, I think was it yes when the wife was it dana donna um the wife was mm-hmm. walking uh, on the upstairs hallway mm-hmm. or sorry it was when it was when the blonde girl came out of the bedroom, I believe. Oh, and in the, upstairs after when she was behind the chair? Yes, that after that yeah. part. And you, you're hearing what is going on in the bathroom. Yes. That sound design, that creak or crunch or fold of whatever was happening before she went into that cabinet. 
And then when mm-hmm. you cut there and you see just her hair getting sucked in, like that moment, that moment, right, as the camera went from the door back to the bedroom, that then that sound design, I forgot the time code, exact time code, but that moment's where I was like, okay, that's great. That's great. I love good. that. That's good. Great. Yeah. Good, good. I mean, that was the point that everything's building to. So the the rest of the piece is a tension piece. Um, <clears throat> and so it's all essentially building to that point. And then for those of you who haven't seen the short, write to me and ask me to see it. But um, without giving anything away, the- oh, I'm so <clears throat> sorry, by the way. I apologize. Dude, you're, you're totally, dude, there are, there are no spoilers here. It's a, it's a I'm so series. sorry, guys. I apologize. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, I talk during the- movies. I'm the most annoying. <laughs> I love films, but I talk during them. I'm so fucking annoying. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, but that that- that whole thing was crafted around that specific beat. And so mm. everything from the fire on the stove to the fire alarm going off to her uh, walking down that hallway. And an interesting fact is that when I had boarded out that hallway sequence where she was going to walk down and open the bathroom door and then go into the bathroom, mm. uh, that was boarded completely differently. And mm. what had happened was we shot the coverage of the girl, uh, Maggie, she's phenomenal. She changed everything when we cast her. Maggie, the babysitter, behind the chair. And that putting her behind the chair was something that me and the production designer just improv because we liked that look. And we went, what if she's behind this chair? And it worked out really well. Oh, yeah. And then um, we shot her performance, which is phenomenal there. And then we shot the reversal of it. We shot the mom in the hallway. Mm. And and the mom's reaction to what the babysitter says there and how she reacts to it. She has this moment and she looks down the hallway because she hears a knock. I saw that when we were shooting it on set and I had a whole other set of coverage of how to get her down the hallway and I was going to follow her feet and I was going to do a very specific preconceived way of getting there. Mm. And because of how she reacted to it, I changed it to a floating camera perspective and I changed it much differently. And I remember I stopped the whole shoot and I turned to my AD and I go, look, we need 15 minutes. I, I know I have a plan. I know I have like 15 shots for this, but I need to just talk to you. I think I figured out something based upon her performance. This is so honest and this is so true. And I was very excited. And I'm like, this is going to make this really great. Mm. And, uh, we ended up changing that and, uh, we shot it and it was really perfect. And then she goes down and has that breakdown sequence. And then that builds to that moment that you like. That moment, which lasts on screen for, I would I would say 15 frames, whatever that is. Mm. And that's such a powerful moment. And it's powerful because of the build. Because yeah. of everything yeah. that built to it. I'm happy that you responded that well to it, man. Because oh, it, dude, yeah. And even like the set design, the background, those four cabinets or six cabinets, one was kind of open. I thought it was something was going to come out of there. I, I just, <laughs> and it was out of focus. It was just so well placed, man. You know, what, you know what it reminded me of was uh, was Lady in Black with, is it Lady in Black with Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe? Oh, I haven't seen this. I haven't seen this, oh. but I've heard of this. My God. Lady in Black, Woman in Black. There's it's a Woman in sh- Black, I think. Woman in Black. There's one shot in in this hallway that they always cut to this one eerie fucking shot and it's this long hallway that goes to an overlook that overlooks the foyer of this this house mm-hmm. and at the very end of the hallway and this is not a spoiler alert in any way it's just a it's a suspense building tone like you were saying there's this mirror 
that reflects what's on the other side, but it's broken down. There's just like weird sculpture, I think, in front of it. And then these two very heavy, dusty velvet curtains. And it's just one shot, old wood, dark wood. And the camera just, it's always on it and it slowly creeps in. Every time they cut back to it, it's closer and closer. And I noticed it the second time I watched it. And I said, my God, what a great subliminal way of approaching the suspense. One shot. And and, and the re- there's a reason why, and I won't tell you. But the way it conveys with the characters later, when things start to become understood and the mystery that this that Daniel Radcliffe's character has to discover is, mm-hmm. is awesome. I definitely recommend watching it for the, the buildup of the suspense. It's a very suspenseful film in that way. Very suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have to watch it. Yeah, no, dude, it's, I, we can get nerdy. <clears throat> we can do a whole podcast on this. We can get <laughs> yeah. super yeah, nerdy yeah. on this shit because it. it's <laughs> it's it's my pet. Like this gets me as excited. If you follow me on Instagram, this shit gets me as excited as smoking meats on the barbecue. <laughs> wow, dude, that's great. I love it. It's the I love same it. That's great. level of fucking. There are three things that get me really pumped: uh, really good food, really good prepared food experiences. Uh, mm fucking lighting like really phenomenal lighting mm. and then suspense building like those three things you can get me on a we could do a six hour fucking podcast <laughs> that's a nice trifecta man i like it <laughs> my, mine mine would be uh mine would be obviously uh talking films and all this like we're doing now because it's coming from the heart and soul mm-hmm. uh, it would be it would be motorcycle talk because i can talk about two-wheeled machines for for ages and um <laughs> no scooters please uh for those out there who ride scooters <laughs> rubber side down but that's all i'm gonna say um <laughs> i don't ride scooters anymore and then thirdly um for me it's it's uh and the, the animation world it's uh I, I was a cartoonist for years and and uh i just i i just love the process of bringing a, 300 drawings to life and, it, mm. and literally 15 seconds of work but it just it's such a cool process because you're you're breaking the the the, the space of two-dimensional values in a three-dimensional sequence yeah in a 2d world into this 4d environment it's just such a cool it's such a cool hybrid and i'm, I'm old school i still do uh the pages flipping on the uh, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the disc over here so mm-hmm. dude it's really cool we've had a uh, animator on the show uh, oh really does yeah he does um oh my god his name just left my brain Shane Liam, Daring, there you one. go there you go. That's why. Hey, awesome man! Con- yeah, that's awesome. That's fucking. Yeah, sick. he was he was phenomenal, and um, I love. It. I've been actually trying to beg him to do work for us. I love his work. I think it's really great, and that's he's very cool. much old school. Because I'm a huge fan of like old school um, Japanese animation, like the 1990s. Oh, me too, man. Akira, all the way, all the way. I just got like, I just got the. Uh, my girlfriend bought me for the first time in my life. She actually bought me a record player, and so I've been collecting vinyl. And I just got the oh, Akira, cool. the Akira soundtrack on vinyl. Oh, dude, it's so rad, man! That's oh, awesome. It's I'm so a, good. I'm a huge Akira fan, hence the motorcycles in there too. But my god, the storyboards are fucking rad, dude. They're amazing. Amazing, they're amazing. storyboards. And that you, movie, the animation in that movie, and the level of detail is is unsurpassed. As far as like how they do that shit. 80s gold that's what that is it's just oh. absolutely phenomenal if you if you go on youtube and you you google uh, you google youtube it's the same thing uh you go on uh, youtube and you type in the search bar akira 2d pencil test somewhere okay. in the search you should find the raw animation i think there's someone who reposted it or it was taken down and put back up but it's the actual rough animation without any color awesome 
It's beautiful. Yeah, I just wrote it down. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I love that shit. I, Akira I hope, is one of my I favorite. Hope they, I hope they do that uh, that movie, but I hope that uh, if, if they ever do it with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like Christopher Nolan said he would, I hope it turns out good. I, I really do because yeah dude i just i had a text in here i don't know how much i'm allowed to say he's a listener of the show he was also on the show my buddy Stu. he just said that he went to an event an industry event hmm. and they saw footage that they were testing for that and he was saying that it looks fucking awesome oh that's so good okay that's such a relief man yeah i think they're using some of the techniques that they use for metalorian i think they're using a lot of that oh really like those live action backgrounds like yeah. that's like, dude oh my god i'm sorry i'm nerding out with you guys this is this is fucking sick yeah. thank you Kai, by the way that's just uh <laughs> dude i just literally got the text i don't know if i'm supposed to say it but i did sorry <laughs> but, it's but, okay uh, it's between us i won't yeah. repeat it i won't repeat it. <laughs> <Yeah>. between all <laughs> of us <laughs> but yeah. i hear it looks co- i don't know if they're still doing it because of covid right now but uh and right, I, I think right. taika was supposed to originally be doing it and I, I know that he's been pulled on to the new thor movie so i don't know Damn. who's directing it um but God, uh, all right i hope they have that same storyboard style you know the anime style the way they set up those shots they're very hard to but now with all the dude. anamorphic lenses and shit we can do it's, it's it's easier but um but man i really do hope they they had the, that anime style storyboard you know fil- film style to it to kind of breed or cross the barrier from the, the film world into the 2d world and bring that forward would be sick yeah dude honestly i i i, I think tech is a good choice but i Man, I really want a good visualist. I want a good visual director to take that on. I want someone that has a good concept on lens selection. I want someone that knows how to how to create that stuff. Because one of the things that I find fascinating about uh, that specific time period for Japanese animation was that the animators were kind of trying to replicate what lenses did. But the benefit of animating is that you don't have to stick to the rules that yeah. lenses have in real life. Yes. And so you get that this this extreme warping that changes into something else that is virtually impossible to shoot because the optics don't exist for it. Yeah. And so you end up having like that those lines, that style that come from animating that would be very hard to replicate. I think the closest thing I've seen to it honestly would probably be in Matrix 1. And there was like a bunch mm. of stuff in Matrix One, like when um, Trinity puts the gun up to uh, what's his name, Agent Smith's head, and that specific lens choice and the warping of the gun and the warping of her arm mm. was very reminiscent of Japanese animation from that time period. Um, that whole helicopter sequence when he's hanging out of the helicopter and he's holding under her hand, and there's a reversal shot that is also warped that way. Um, like Bill Pope shot that stuff. We were trying to get him on the show, right, Liam? We, we got to try yes. to get him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. We got to try to get deep him. Deep undercover, show. fancy, uh, in love with the process stuff. Yes, we are. We are in, currently in <laughs> talks to get him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, rad. Yeah, I hope you guys do. That would be so cool for you guys. Yeah, because he'd be world. a guy to talk to about that. Yeah, he'd be a, he'd be a dude to talk to about that shit. One hundred percent. You know, I'm uh, doing a, I'm doing a project with uh, a friend of mine in Australia. It's uh, he's been working on this. It's called the Crusader Condition. His uh, his name is Andrew Graham. She's a He's a young director, very talented, um, and uh, he's been developing this project for like eight, nine years now. I've known him, and he just he just does not want to give up on it, and I love that about him. But the uh, the storyboard, he's working with the guy who storyboarded Empire Strikes Back. Oh, um, fucking cool, Oh, man. he's a good friend of his, and just I, for, I can't remember the guy's name of the life of me. I, it's just, I have the poster behind me. I have a poster behind me. I'll send you a photo. 
Um, yeah. It's um, The Empire Strikes Back, uh, and on it is the uh, is a signature from Irvin Kirshner. He came to the house in 1997 after the trilogy <laughs> was released, the re-edited trilogy, and signed this poster for my father. My father wanted it for me instead. And so he's, you know, for Christopher, may the force be with you, Irvin, uh, Irvin Kirshner. Oh, that's um, cool, man. Yeah, that's really, right. really cool. But, but then, you know, it's funny how the, the world works. So many years later... 20-something years later, I'm working with a director who happens to be good friends with the storyboard uh, artist on that uh, on that project. And that guy is just a legend. I mean, the shots, those oh shots in front of the windows in, in, in Cloud City, investment, mm-hmm. just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's the thing about, I mean, like, Lucas, uh, Lucas's camp and uh, um, now Disney, but that camp has the best, the best uh, concept artists and storyboard yeah. artists. Yeah, they really do. And you, you like you look at that storyboard work, like uh, you know, watching the Mandalorian show, they would uh, put the storyboards as their end credits. Yeah. And the storyboard, the storyboards, you just look at, you go, "Fuck!" Yeah. Can it, is there a way to get those boards closer? And I think that's what I was you, thinking the same, man. Yeah, dude, you like you like James Cameron does a really good job with it. Like um, Avatar was really close to his boards. You know, like um, there's a few directors out there that do like a really fucking good job of taking that. Like Rodriguez did it pretty good with the Alita too. Mm. Taking, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking yeah. that style, that anime style, and really figuring out how lenses could capture it the right way to give you that same vibe. Like I, dude, I'm a huge Ghost in the Shell fan, and oh I yeah, want, that was well wanted, shot. Well shot. Dude, I like, but I wanted to love that movie even more. I, like yeah, I really yeah. did. Hayao Miyazaki, um, Studio Ghibli in Japan, they, um, or Ghibli, Ghibli, however you want to say it. They, yeah. um, he, I think he's got to be 90, he's in his 90s now. And yeah, he still, he hand colors, uh, watercolor. He watercolors every panel of his storyboards himself God. in his house in Tokyo. F- fucking awesome. I mean, Dude, it takes him insane. probably six months, but wow, man. Well, dude, and the and the I don't have that brain capacity. I don't have that ability to have that that concentration where it's like I'm going to do this identical <laughs> for like yeah, you fifteen frames, sixteen like, okay, frames. <laughs> dude, I just can't. Like I'd hit a point where I go, okay, someone give me a gun. Like, yeah, I just be done. Storyboards. I'm gonna cut them all in half. Yeah, dude, I couldn't do it. No, I understand. It's uh, it's a certain caliber and it's a patience. That's why a team is very important. Yeah, 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 totally. Especially your right hand guy who knows your vision. You know, Mike. It's I know you have this. I'm sure you have people that work with you consistently, and you know they they just understand you and they love your vision and they want to bring it to life. It's that's Mm -hmm. having those people on your team is uh, is a blessing. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to say who it is because there's a drink. There's currently a drinking game surrounding like every time I mention a specific name on the show. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I'm not going to. No drinks I'm, this I'm episode. One, <laughs> I'm one space away from my in love with the process bingo card being filled out. <laughs> yeah, I'm not giving it to you. Not on the show. <laughs> All right. Well, look, look, look. We've this has been a killer episode. We're cranking on almost two hours. So I think. I think we're good. Okay. Um, what um, th- normally at this part of the show, I asked uh, the guest, the guest, to give some advice to the listeners of the show, and I'm, I'm trying to think of a good way because of your experience and everything that you've been. Let's have fun with it. Like what? Sure. Being someone that has been on how many sets? Right. You you've been over over thirty. 
big at least, movie sets, at least, at least right? Yeah. And so you you get to see all the characters that come and go, right? Because you have visitors that come to set, you have people that come to sets, and there are a lot of people that are always like, man, if I could ever be on a movie set, if I can ever go and see it, it'd be amazing. There are people that you know, spend a lot of money to try to get on sets, whether it's with contests or everything else. That's true. If you had advice with the experience and the people that you've seen coming on to shoots, what would be good set etiquette for someone that was visiting a set in your opinion? I would, I would stay away from all the cross traffic. I would not try to be that creep behind video village because there's always one guy going, Hey, who are you? What are you doing? I would just, uh, I would hang out with, um, a catering when you, when you, when people go for their lunch, I would, um, try to converse with the DPs and the directors because these guys are visionaries and they, they make shit happen. They bring, they bring something from the ground up and they carry words, a script into reality. And that's one of the hardest things you can do. Um, but a movie set, if you don't have any patience, then it's not for you. It's, uh, it's a place that every step you make, every thought you think is, is vital to the project because everybody's focused and on a time schedule and driven, but everybody's an artist and is, and is, is part of this process together as a unit, even if everybody's individual, you know, to a certain extent, they're still on, on a certain time zone that they're respecting as artists to get, uh, the image across from the grip department to the directors to the actors it's a well-oiled machine based on uh, on love for film so if you don't have that then I don't think a movie set would uh, would interest you but uh, if it does then by all means whenever you can get on a set just uh, open your ears ask questions when people are eating lunch or on a break not during <laughs> I've been on <laughs> both sides of that sword uh, and no way shape or form is it personal it's just uh, people are focused and uh, making movies is one of the still the coolest things to do uh, in our modern day and will always be a timeless venture because you're telling stories is what we're here to do. So how was that? I had a fucking blast with those guys, man. They're really cool. I'm very happy that we got to hang out. I'm very happy that we got to talk. And man, there's so many parallels between how they came up and how I came up. Sure, they have a lot of differences. They got a lot of different access, a lot of different places to go, but does it make their life better than mine? I don't know, you know? Opportunity is one thing and situations are one thing too, but we're all kind of the same. We all kind of deal with the same shit, you know? How do I keep my parents happy? Do my parents like me? Do my parents not like me? What am I doing with my life? Am I figuring this shit out? You know, we're all going through the same shit, no matter what color we are, no matter where we come from. We all want the same things, right? Be happy, eat food, have sex, right? Live a good life before we fucking drop, right? That's the deal. So... I love this episode. It's one of my favorites. I think it's one of the. I think it's one of the best of the show. And uh, I hope you guys liked it as much as I did. And thank you, as always, for supporting the show. Big shout outs to everybody who continues to support the show. All our sponsors. Make sure you click the links below. Make sure you give a shout out to Liam. Liam was phoning in in this episode. I don't know if it made it into the edit, but he was phoning in this episode on his cross country trip. He has been traveling across the country 
with cardboard cutouts from Lord of the Rings. I am not kidding. <laughs> that is not a fucking joke. Follow him on Instagram. He'll put his link below. Follow him on Instagram and see what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. He has Frodo in the back seat of his car wearing a mask, guys. So it's definitely worth checking out. And as always, thanks to the amazing Code Electro. And with my current obsession with vinyls, I actually got to pull out some of the vinyls that he sent me. He has amazing vinyls for his stuff. And if you love the music on this show and you want to show some, if you want to show some support to the guy who builds the tone for this show, go check him out. Go check out Code Electro. I think it's CodeElectro.com. We'll put a link below, Liam. Get the link for that. Um, check him out. Buy one of his vinyls. They're fucking amazing. If he has any left, buy one of his vinyls. They're phenomenal. And the music is great. Uh, you guys hear a lot of it on the show. I love him. I have nothing but great things to say about him. Thank you so much for letting us use your music on the show. And thank you, everybody at home, for listening. Uh, we try to please. I hope this episode did. And as always, I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>